we are all familiar with the popular podcasts out there. Some popular comedy podcasts out there. Uh, I've heard yeah. about one them, yeah. of my particular favorites is Scott Ackerman's and Adam Scott's going through uh, recapping music podcast that has gone through many names and many variations uh, throughout its time. It's mm. uh, it started as you talking you two to me. Uh, it is currently on. Uh, they're covering Bruce Springsteen, and it's called You Spring and Springsteen on My Bean. <laughs> and I thought I would come and pitch a podcast for y'all. I'm what listening. If, what, if, what if the four of us just started a DC Talk podcast mm. called DC's Talking DC Talk CDs? <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> so here's here's my thought about about starting a DC Talk podcast. I'm, yeah. I'm cool with the title. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after about five episodes, I would do a murder suicide on all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so many possible worlds, but we got this one. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. Welcome to the worst of all possible worlds, the first and only podcast to do a murder suicide <laughs> live on mic. I'm the worst of all possible AJs. I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. And I'm the worst of all possible Josh's. And yes, we are here talking about an album that, you know, if you've been listening to our show for a while for that fucking Adventures and Odyssey and what have you, you are most likely also familiar with what we are talking about today. Uh, it Bunch is of Jesus freaks. Absolutely. What will people do if they find that out about me? And uh, <laughs> joining us to talk about Jesus Freak, the album by the seminal Christian contemporary music group DC Talk, we have a foremost documenter of the decline and collapse of the American experiment. Uh, he's written for publications including The Baffler, The Nation, Descent, and of course, he is co host of the fantastic podcast, Trillbilly Workers Party. It's Kentucky's finest, Terrence Ray. Welcome to the show, Terrence. Thanks for having me, fellas. Very happy to be here. Very happy to be discussing a topic that is one of my favorite topics. Usually, like if you can manage to corner somebody who has even uh, even an inkling of what this is about, like you know, you can you can riff on this for a long time. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, I I actually I reached out to you because. We've had a few people uh, send us something like, you should talk to the guys at Trillbillies. Like, they really, yeah. you know, a lot of their shit's kind of in your wheelhouse. And so yeah. I sent you a message being like, hey, do you want to talk about Jesus Freak? And the response was very prompt. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> this is our second episode about CCM. Yes. And yes. It, it seems that we can only talk about Christian music with people who grew up in New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about, uh, I guess, Christian music that perhaps hits a little bit harder in New Mexico. Mm. What was the What was the previous one? Uh, our, our friend uh, Rosie Armstrong, who I grew up with in Gallup, who is part of the band Hans Gruber and the Diehards. And of course, you're from the opposite corner of the state. I you're am. basically from Texas, if you ask any other New Mexican where you're yeah, from. Yeah. But <laughs> honestly, you tell them where you're from, and they generally kind of get this look on their face because they associate that part of the state with oil. Mm, yeah. So it's like they, you know, I mean, I've met a lot of people from Albuquerque. They're kind of snobs about where I grew up. And to be fair, 
It's not it's not the prettiest place in New Mexico. There's a real antipathy we have for people who come from the flat parts of the state. Yeah. If there's totally. grass, if there's plains, <laughs> get get fucked. No, it, it it reminds you of the desolation of man and you know, you don't, you don't want to re- you don't want to be reminded of that. We need your opinions on the great city of Gallup, New Mexico. Thoughts, opinions, yeah, etc. Yeah. This is yes, just for Brian yes. specifically. <laughs> yes. I, I have to be honest, I've actually never been to Gallup. Oh. I I think I've perhaps driven through it. Um I have family it's I've I got family in Roswell and Grants mm-hmm. and Albuquerque, all over central and western New Mexico, but uh don't have any don't have any friends or family in Gallup. It's crazy that you'd you'd go to Grants and not go to Gallup. It's it's where all the uranium went <laughs> when they mined it up. I know. I, I know about the uranium. They enriched the uranium in my backyard in Lee County. Yeah. So they mine mm. it from Gallup. They bring it down to Lee County and there's a uranium enrichment plant down there. There's also a radioactive material disposal facility in my county. And right. it's right on the border of Eddy County and Lee County. And, you know, the meme that goes around the, you know, Twitter about nothing sacred is buried here, or, you know, turn away. Right. You know yeah. what I'm right. That's yeah, yeah, based yeah, yeah. on where, like that, where they were workshopping yeah. that message is where I'm from. So that's actually nailed on a sign in front of my home. Oh, okay. uh, we don't have any radioactive material. It's just <laughs> well, we can get you some. Looks like. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're here to unpack a, another form of toxic radiation, the toxic mind yeah. radiation, <laughs> known as Jesus Freak. Uh, and again, this is an album that, if you grew up with contemporary Christian music in the '90s you have some amount of exposure to. And Terrence, I'm curious to just hear a little bit more about sort of your backstory with this album, uh, as well as like, obviously you do a lot of podcasting and stuff like this. And you mentioned it is a frequent thing that you enjoy talking about. So what does that all look like for you? So the album Jesus Freak itself, I probably was introduced to when I was, so it came out in 95, right? I was born in 87, I probably heard it for the first time when I was like, yeah, nine or 10. I think, though, that the way that I first came to it was through the Jesus Freak book that they released with the album. I believe Mm -hmm. that was my first encounter with it. Uh, I have a lot of people in my family who are musicians, and a lot of them are in the church. You know, they're gospel musicians and Mm -hmm. and things like that. And so I, I wanted to play music when I was a kid. And I think that like my extended family who didn't really know much about CCM, they just knew that it was Christian. If they would have listened to it, they probably would have hated it. But I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that someone bought that you know tape cassette for me because because you know it's like it was huge back then, right? Yeah. But like I have been interested in CCM for a long time for several different reasons. I think that like you can probably there's something to be said about you know. 90s, uh, end of history, uh, height of empire, you know, decline of empire that can be said about CCM. There's also something to be said, I think, about just art, though, and art being an artist in general and trying to find ways to express yourself through these forms that are kind of like prefabricated and preformulated for you. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting, Josh, like you sent me the video of DC Talk doing their 10-year sort of like retrospective. Yes, the the intermission <laughs> retrospective that was broadcast live on PAX TV. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. In, in which they over and over again 
beat it over your head. We are not breaking up. We're not breaking up. And then they literally broke up like three months later. That's what you say right before you break yeah, up, right? right? Yeah, it's yeah, a lot yeah. of we're not breaking up. We're not breaking up. <laughs> it is interesting because you can really see it on all three of them. You can really see that yeah. like they, they take themselves seriously as artists. And you can also tell, especially with Kevin Max, that they are very frustrated with having to constantly define themselves and their art through the prism of CCM. Right. And I think CCM is very fascinating because for me as a podcaster, I also experience this. I mean, we at the end of the day kind of are in a subculture, like you call it like dirtbag left or whatever. And so like I, in some ways I do see a lot of the same trends and patterns being reformulated in that subculture that I saw in CCM in the 90s and early aughts. But also, I I do find it fascinating because of what I was telling you guys before we got on, which is that like I was talking to someone recently about... Uh, like They had named their child. They just recently had a child. They named their child after the lead singer of a very popular Christian group right now. They're from Atlanta. I can't remember their names right now, but they're very popular. Okay. And so I was like, mm. oh, all right. Like, hell yeah. Like, you know, do you know DC Talk? Like, and I was like, I could probably talk to him about DC Talk. Had never heard of him. I mean, he's about <laughs> like nine years younger than me, eight or nine years younger than me, but never had heard of DC Talk. And I was like, what are y'all listening to in church? Like, you don't listen to... <laughs> DC Talk, so what do you listen to? So I checked the band out, and it's probably best described as somewhere between praise and worship and maybe kind of like explosions in the sky, like yeah. post-rock. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's, oh, interesting. It's all yeah, about yeah. like a vibe. It's not mm-hmm. like about like trying to make pop music or, or catchy hooks or anything like that. And I find mm. that very fascinating. Um, one of the fascinating things about CCM was that they were they were using like these secular forms to try to do a kind of, if you're a leftist, you know this term, entryism. They were kind mm-hmm. of trying to do like yeah. an entryism into the secular world using their own sort of like forms to kind of like yeah. try to sort of like backdoor or like subversively plant seeds in those worlds that would then blossom into like Christians. It is fascinating that you can like hear like the uh, the youth pastor <laughs> chair flip around in the background <laughs> yeah. of every single one of these songs. Totally. Well, it's like Larry Norman started outside of Christian music. Uh-huh. He was a rock star, you know, he grew up Christian. He was a Christian, but like he was somebody who was going on tour with the who and and like whatever. He was opening for these huge acts and then everybody else in his band turned Scientologist and then he became a Christian musician (laughs) because like he started this whole movement of Christian musicians because they were people who were coming from other genres and coming from a market where they were making music for themselves, not music for the purposes of praise and worship, although it did find itself, it did find its way into churches. Yeah, Terrence, I had a a similar experience when I was watching recently some concert footage from that Newsboys tour that they did a few years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Michael Tate, one of the members of DC Talk, is now the lead singer of Newsboys, right? right? Newsboys being another seminal sort of CCM group. And they did this tour where they reunited the new band with the old band, Peter Furler and Phil Joel, who had oh, previously wow. been singers yeah. in like the former lead singer and former bassist of sort of the more original Newsboys lineup. And there was a similar thing where it was like the young kids, when Furler came out and started singing like the old school Newsboys, they didn't know a fucking word. <laughs> like the, the camera's looking at them because it's, you know, this is like a pro shot and the camera's looking at these kids. They, they don't know these songs. 
they don't know who this guy is. They want to sing the songs about God's not dead. He's surely alive. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's been such, a, I think, sea change. And the entryism led to this sort of capture of of the world in such a way where, like, there's no longer interest in the CCM sphere by and large of trying to communicate, replicate or even be in any real contact with the broader musical culture. It's its whole own thing now. Yeah. But you can trace that back to this moment, the cultural moment of Jesus Freak. And so I want to talk a little bit here then about how this all sort of came into existence. So we got to start out here with a story of a couple guys, Toby McKeon and Michael Tate. These guys are both from the greater D.C. area. Well, actually, Toby McKeon's from Annandale, Virginia, and Michael Tate is from Washington proper. Uh, These two guys grow up attending private Christian academies in greater D.C., Toby McKeon in Fairfax, Virginia, uh, Michael Tate in Prince George's County, Maryland, and their upbringing causes them both to be very connected, obviously, to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm. And with the evangelical fervor that has been inculcated in them, they naturally both enroll at Liberty University. And Liberty, of course, is Jerry Falwell's Evangelical Christian College in Lynchburg. And they are assigned to be roommates. And they they hit it off pretty quickly. Basically, Toby is a white guy who loves hip hop. Tate is a black guy who loves rock and old school gospel. So it doesn't take long for them to start thinking about making music together. They start performing together as DC Talk, which was originally just going to be Toby's rap name. It ends up being the name for the group. Oh, and no. uh, yeah, this is and, this is, the and f- then Toby becomes Toby Mac for <laughs> that's later. right. That yeah, becomes yeah, yeah. his rap yeah. name. Yeah. And then he returns at a certain point, so there can be a return of the Mac. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jesus. So, so just to be, and, and also just to be just to be super clear, DC Talk. It's just referencing the District of Columbia, right? Because well, <laughs> I've not I've just... racked my brain no. trying to figure that out. <laughs> oh, you're gonna hate this, AJ. You're oh, yeah. Hate it so <laughs> much. If you don't know what it actually is, it's great. I have yeah. some guesses. Do you want to hear some guesses? Go for it. Yes. Go for it. Uh, great. So we have um, Dick Celebrity Talk. We have Dada yeah. Calligraphy. We have Decibel mm. Camel. We have Dietary okay. co- uh, Considerations. We oh. have Donut Catharsis. We have Dandelion <laughs> Circumcision. That's where you do a normal circumcision, but you make it in the shape of a flower. <laughs> Got uh, it. We have uh, Dangerous Cuck, which is when you give a cuck a gun. Uh, demoralizing <laughs> Cum. Demoralizing cum when you just feel real bad afterwards. Yeah, yeah, Dirty yeah. Charlemagne when you fuck to the original cast recording of Pippin. Drunk <laughs> Candace. We're all very worried about Candace. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, finally, Death Cab. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're getting... Jesus you, Christ. You, you danced around some <laughs> truths there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Would, would, you, would you say that was... I, I sort of did a deft consolidation of that talk. Mm. Perhaps a DC talk. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it Terrence, actually you, stands for Death Stranding, but it's spelled wrong. <laughs> Come on. Uh, I see. Decent. Terrence, yeah. do you want to uh, enlighten us all on the true meaning of DC talk? What it means when DC talks? Yeah, it's decent Christian talk. I'm so mad. <laughs> <laughs> You're kidding. I'm furious. <laughs> I guess the point is, is that they were at Liberty... They were actually became they became friends with Jerry Falwell. I think they even right, performed yeah. in his backyard, like at a bar- backyard barbecue. Yep, I th- mm-hmm. think that was their first show. Michael Tate even uh, visited his grave in 2012. He said, "I would always joke with him, calling him my white daddy." Ooh, it's uh <laughs> oh pr- pretty bad. Don't, don't well, okay. love that. <laughs> okay, I do want to put a pin in that though. Come back to some of the lyrics of these songs being um. 
uh, sexual in nature. Uh, oh, yeah. Also, I just want to point out, I can't remember if you mentioned it, Josh. Michael Tate is black. Yes. DC Talk is two white guys and a black guy. Right. They, throughout their entire catalog, they did frequently return to the topic of race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that is very, there's a lot of things that said DC Talk, aside from a lot of CCM artists, and their willingness to tackle race and racism in the church is kind of what, in some ways, set them apart. Right, um, yeah. And their willingness to critique fame and their own fame is mm-hmm. kind of what also opened up the door for several other subsequent Christian acts like Five Iron Frenzy and like Pedro the Lion and some of these other groups. Yeah. Like they they were a- then able to kind of go and start using that exactly platform to of, yeah. critique the church and evangelicalism and everything else. Um, but... You're absolutely right, AJ. There is a lot of sexual uh, undertones, and they're not even undertones. They're very, uh, they obviously, like, they're implicit. But um, honestly, like, DC Talk, like, that's that's one thing. Mm. Uh, there is a guy right now who is in the news. We've talked about him on the, our show before. I know Brian from... Uh, formerly Street Fight, now has his own podcast, guys. Like, he's talked yeah. about this guy a lot. Oh, so this is a this, true guy. This, this is a, is guy a guy. true guy. He is, um, his name is John Cooper. He's in the band Skillet. He's he's kind of gone like a whole trajectory, like where he's like super anti-woke now. That's his whole platform. He's a he's a grifter, so to oh, speak. Oh, yeah. Hmm. But um, you're talking about the sexual, uh, the sexuality in these songs. Nowhere does it come clearer in John Cooper's songs in Skillet. Skillet was kind of trying to imitate Nine Inch Nails. And so a big thing in... Early, I will add. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so like a big thing in Nine Inch Nails, obviously, is like like BDSM, like trying to kind of make that into like a Christian thing. The Christian... I just love the idea of like a Christian (laughs) version of Closer. Like how do you even do that? I'm I'm Maplethorpe for Christ, yeah. Jeez. You get such songs as... uh, (laughs) Locked in a cage, you take mm. my rights away. Mm. Uh, you're powerful. Um, <laughs> come on to the future. Um, the thirst is taking over. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's like it's very much like someone please dom me. I would right. pre- I would love it for Christ to dom me. No. Um, so, anyways, it was mostly. That's a tangent, but it was most explicitly yeah. realized in Skillet. DC Talk, they were, you know, they were more poetic about it. Yeah, their- they keep it a bit more demure, but it, yeah. I think it's worth noting that, like, with DC Talk, uh, particularly uh, once we get to, to Jesus Freak, that this music is reflecting in many ways the personalities and neuroses of the people making it. Oh, yeah. This is not oh, sure. cookie cutter CCM in the way that a lot of other shit is. No, this is a lot more like yeah. Rich Mullins. So at this point, again, we have Toby Mac, the white guy who loves hip hop, and Michael Tate, the black guy who loves rock and old school gospel. They have started performing uh, a bit uh, around Lynchburg and so on. It helps that Michael Tate is an excellent, excellent networker. Mm. You know, that helps with yeah. the uh, Jerry Falwell connection and all of that. He's just the kind of guy who's really good at that, like interpersonal politics. Sure. And into this mix enters a third man, Kevin Max Smith, who would later just change his name to Kevin Max. Uh, he is, of course, from the wonderful city of Grand Rapids in the great state of Michigan, much, <laughs> much like me. A uh, fun fact about Kevin Max Smith, uh, he used to be Kevin HBO Max Smith, but That's unfortunately true. during That's the merger. Kevin Max has an unbelievable voice. But the yeah. thing is, at this point, they're not really singing much yet. 
Because in 1989, Eddie DeGarmo from Forefront Records, which is a fairly recently founded uh, contemporary Christian label at this point, he discovers the trio. He's like, we need more urban music uh, that we can market to Christians. So how about we do a record deal? They release two albums in two years. The self-titled, uh, the cover of that looks like a KMFDM album, actually. It's just this <laughs> DC talk over a picture in the exact same format. Uh, and New Thang, uh, which is 1990. That is N-U-T-H-A-N-G. Oh, um, it's, a, it's actually a reference to a Bible verse. I can't mm-hmm. remember what it is. I think it might be an Isaiah. It's like, now we will do a new thing or something. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Okay, hold on. <laughs> Everyone remembers that, that verse in the Bible. Like God, a curse. Yeah, God's like, we're going to do a new thing. I just love I just love the idea that there's like a Bible verse. It's like, hey, let's go over there. And then they name a, like an album. Hey, let's go over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> With like seven C's. <laughs> and these albums are, they're cringe. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. They're, 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 they're trying to be rap. They're trying to be hip hop. They're trying to be in conversation with the broader culture, but it's it's more MC Hammer than uh, N.W.A. Right. Totally. Because, again, it's 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 two white guys in the and a black guy. And the one who loves to rap the most is, I think, maybe the whitest the, of yeah, the white. He, he's the whiter of the two. <laughs> Phosphorescent. <laughs> yeah. I never got into the rap stuff even as a kid. Yeah. Um, you know, but like that was the thing. Like I was more into rock and roll as a kid anyways. And mm-hmm. so. I mean, right. just sonically, if you compare their first three albums with Jesus Freak, it is really in- incredible how different they sound, yeah. how much more mature the mu- music sounds. But just from the opening of Jesus Freak, you've just got these kind of like guitar riffs yeah. that immediately pull you in. I don't know. You don't really get anything like that on any of their previous three albums. No, no, not not even Free at Last, which I would say is sort of a halfway point between the more like basic just we're doing raps kind of thing. Yeah. And it is very like, yo, my name's Toby Mac and I'm here to say like that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Free at last <laughs> does begin to incorporate a bit broader of a sonic palette. And, um, you know, that cover of Jesus is just all right, really is doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, is it good? It's doing a new thing. <laughs> it's doing a new thing. <laughs> um, and, and, and that is also uh, their biggest commercial success yet. It gets certified gold by the RIAA in 1993. It actually wins the Grammy Award for Best Rock Gospel Album uh, in 1994 and gets certified RIAA Platinum in 95. So at this point, DC Talk's a pretty big deal. And the Christian music industry itself, the CCM industry, is becoming a big enough market that the major labels are starting to take notice. A big part of CCM grows out of the Jesus Freak or the Jesus People movement of the 70s. Yeah. That's what makes yeah. Jesus Freak a seminal album because it's in conversation with a discernible trend within the church itself. Hmm. And honestly, in many ways, the people that made Jesus Freak the album were the children of the moral majority Christians of the 70s who Mm. were kind of like, you know, in a way diametrically opposed to the Jesus People movement. So for those that don't know, like the Jesus People movement was basically a kind of counterculture from the counterculture. It was a subculture that grew out of the counterculture of the 60s where hippies in the early 70s, they all started to move away from politics and even drugs themselves in some cases yeah. and move on to communes and back to the land movements. Some of these people became Christians, born again Christians, and they 
kind of reinvented the image of Jesus in the image of the hippie. Then you had artists like Larry Norman who kind of, I don't want to say capitalized on that. It's not like they were making big bucks. Like this was still at the time a very small industry. You don't really start to see this become a multi-million dollar industry until the 90s. I think even so much so that like Forefront Records, the record company that signed DC Talk, they were basically nobody when they signed DC Talk. Yeah, uh, yeah. DC Talk kind of pushed them into the stratosphere. I think they were eventually bought by like Virgin or Virgin EMI. EMI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And very quickly. I mean, within 10 yeah. years, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like Amy Grant is kind of the bridge between old Jesus music because she was first performing at like 16. Totally. Into the modern CCM. But yeah, most of the Jesus music was like Californians. It was West Coast. Yeah. San Diego specifically. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's that's our great legacy. <laughs> pumping out those Thief in the Night movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, my mom has so many records from bands that nobody heard of because they were just like local San Diego Jesus movement acts oh, awesome. who were making yeah. like concept musicals and stuff like that. Okay. Amazed there's not a DC talk musical. There kind of is. <laughs> oh, okay. If we count Hero, Hero the Rock Opera, that's yeah. That's Michael Tate. You can't. That's not DC Talk. <laughs> oh, we're saying we're saying that one out of the three is not DC Talk. Come on. That is exactly what I'm saying. You need all three. Yeah, I, it's it, like it, us. Is it the worst of all possible worlds if it's just Josh? No, of course not. We need we need the skin kaleidoscope. Uh, <laughs> we do. <laughs> it's a very very pasty skin kaleidoscope. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a very small small corner of that kaleidoscope. (laughs) Very limited palette. But these gents seem to have sort of a very mischievous musical sensibility about Mm -hmm. them. Like it it does, they play with a lot of form in this album that I was not anticipating, frankly. Mm. Uh, You could do something with them that could actually feel very similar to like a hair experience, but with like the the passion of Michael Tate, you know, over the course of <laughs> totally, it a has couple camp, hours. It has camp elements. I mean, there's a fucking yeah. reggae section on In the Light. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I have thought about that a lot over the years. Like DC Talk though took pushed it to the absolute max. Like they more than any other Christian group, they experimented with every genre really across the board. I mean, there's even some songs on the album. After this, and on this one too, uh, that sound like Seal, like they're trying yeah. to, mm-hmm. or, or Sade, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. very interesting. Unlike most everything we cover on this podcast, uh, I had heard the song Jesus Freak before, and I think I've hey. mentioned it in a couple episodes mm. of this podcast. And it's because a uh, longtime listener and good friend of mine, Nate, uh, hi Nate, uh, introduced <laughs> me to this song because he would take me to his church with him sometimes. Okay. And the <laughs> stuff that they would play there sounded like this. And me oh, growing okay. up Catholic, yeah. where you have to sit in the pews and listen to a oh, priest, yeah. like, kind of keep a pitch and, like, <laughs> sing, like, in him, in him, with him, forever, yeah. amen. To go from that to this, I yeah. was like, oh, this rocks. But <laughs> there's a thing that's always kept me at arm's distance from CCM and from, you know, Jesus-based music in general, which is, I think that it's, like, the diet soda of music for me which Mm. is i can taste the flavors 
yeah. that are in the regular <laughs> soda. I can recognize that. But there's this chemical in it, some sort of like mm. carcinogenic thing at the heart of it that just keeps me from enjoying it. So there's a lot of times. Aspartame is not a known carcinogen, just to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> something rotten at the core of it that uh, that really uh, keeps me from fully enjoying it. Even when I was a kid being introduced to all this stuff, I'm like, I get where you're coming from. I see why you would like this, but mm. I just I can't get that weird taste out of my mouth. Mm. Catholicism has not had an evangelical sort of impulse to it in a long time, not right. in the way that Protestantism did. Mm. And, you know, throughout the history of America is the history of Protestants trying to figure out ways to be evangelicals. So much so that they make up <laughs> entirely new religions like Mormonism. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's, mm. and the Jesus people movement was just another iteration of that. And then in the 90s, it became like a fully on commercialized realization of it, which yeah. is, again, to bring it back to the album, they're, there's, they're in dialogue with that. There's a lot right. of Christian artists that were aware of that and were aware of the kind of conflict that that presented to them as, you know, Christ-like people. What does it mean for me to then go out and use or exploit to, you know, use the worst possible word. The worst of all possible words. <laughs> yeah, the worst of all possible words. Uh, Christ's image and his teachings for a buck. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, I was telling Josh, like, before we recorded, like, I kind of have a soft spot for these guys, like, in the sense that, like, you can see that they are genuine guys. They're not absolute mm-hmm. psychos like some of right. these current... Right. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, if you go to YouTube and you type in Kevin Max's name, like, you will find some absolutely insane shit because by now he's kind of come out as like an ex evangelical. Uh, yeah. He's called himself everything from like a socialist to an anarchist. And it's even funny in that video, the intermission video, like, Toby Mac even makes uh, comments. He's like, I'm a spin doctor. I constantly have to cover for Kevin's left of center views. Um, <laughs> and then they come like, back from the commercial break. Yeah. And yeah, Kevin's yeah, like, yeah. Hey, just so you know, I really didn't appreciate the way that you said that. Like straight to him yeah, on yeah, the yeah, live yeah. broadcast. It's yeah. And that shows how yeah, how genuine they are because they yeah. don't have very good presence. That's the weird thing. Is like they're musicians, yeah. they perform live, <laughs> right. but like you you try to do this like MTV, we're sitting on the couch and shooting the shit, and like it sucks. It's really it's uncomfortable brutal. to watch. It they is. don't want to be there. They really like right. didn't want to film this. And you see even interviews with them just by themselves, and they're like, they're just not comfortable in front of the camera they have their expensive clothes and their fancy hairdos that are all like 90s boy band kind of stuff especially kevin yeah Yeah. but they just they're they they are more at home talking to people at like church than Mm -hmm. like from the tv or in dc or in of course (laughs) doing their decent christian talk yeah Yeah. so (laughs) i want to pull it back then to sort of this historical moment right the release of jesus freak the album yeah because as I was saying, the Christian music industry was really building to an entire sort of parallel media ecosystem. And this mm-hmm. also came in tandem with the growth of Christian retail, that you've got these big retailers like, you know, family Christian stores and other chains yeah. that are existing in parallel with places like, you know, Borders and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Barnes and Noble and what have you. And Billboard decides that they are going to start taking numbers from Christian retailers when they compile the Billboard 200. Mm -hmm. And so that now means 
that Christian music is going to have a presence on the album charts in a way that it has not up until this point. And the consequences of this are fascinating because without this, then you don't get Creed. You don't get like a lot of these like early 2000s seminal bands, Lifehouse and like some of these like (laughs) there was kind of like a post grunge revival in the late 90s, early aughts that kind of people call it like jock rock or like Nickelback or whatever. That's pretty much pretty much because there is a continuity there. DC Talk was kind of late to the scene on grunge and then they kind of like carried over to other CCM artists who then reintroduced it back into secular and mainstream. Right. So like you have this like constant like crossbreeding or intermixing between like Christian and secular music in the late 90s and early aughts. So it starts to get confusing and and, um, so much so that there's all kinds of speculations as to like I remember growing up all the time, people speculating, is Nine Inch Nails secretly a Christian band? Is yep. he going to convert? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's Trent like, Reznor? Oh, yeah, Trent Reznor. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> and because the name, the name Nine Inch Nails. And, right. You know, the, and they, they, yeah. they, hear, they heard uh, you bring me closer to God on Closer <laughs> and took it a cl- Closer? Closer, closer. And took it a little bit too literally. <laughs> totally. Th- those are like the heads that are watching There Will Be Blood looking like for hints in like the score <laughs> being like, he's going to convert any day now. <laughs> and to tie this to current moments, though. We do this all the time yeah. still. Taylor Swift is secretly a socialist. <laughs> we even do this with people like I'm we're recording this October 8th, right? Like the yes. day after they've launched this uh, Hamas yeah. has launched this off- offensive into Israel. I don't know how many times I've seen people get mad about Bernie's statement or or John Fetterman's statement and all this. It's like what are you you're reading things into them right. that aren't there. And mm-hmm. that is a thing that like subcultures do this because yes. like we are outnumbered and we have a very yeah. insular scene we want to think that like we have purchase outside of that subculture for a brief time in the 90s this particular subculture was extreme it became very profitable mm-hmm. and you know mm. another band that came out of this that we have to mention here is switchfoot yeah. switchfoot became a massively popular band i don't think they ever got to be as big as dc talk but like they were on a mandy moore movie you mm-hmm. know what i mean like they yep. had oh, wow. a several strings of albums that be that were not christian um, yeah. and became kind of uh, they they seem to kind of exit that, um, and so now you've got Switchfoot, Reliant K, uh, DC Talk, all these bands that were at this time perceived to be Christian gearing for a secular artist. Now you get on YouTube and you look them up, and you've got vloggers who are calling them just every just awful the, thing. the weirdest yeah, 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 fucking yeah. guys in the world oh right? my I mean, god switchfoot or san diego boys oh, yes, they oh, no. yes they are yes they are and girls bad jesus christ they're surfers yeah. man oh yeah, yeah, man yeah. and this it was is... a walk to remember you didn't say it was a walk to remember <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. the mandy Moore cancer movie that's oh, the one baby that's the, the very one. christian mandy Moore cancer movie yeah well and that that's the interesting thing is like switchfoot which also was like better when they were Christian than when they burst into the mainstream. They were more interesting musically. They had more like they were just they had a life to them and then they got really boring. But like Switchfoot did not sing explicitly Christian stuff in their hits. And as a point Mm -hmm. of contrast, the song Jesus Freak from the album Jesus Freak is a huge hit and it's called Jesus Freak. It is straight up just about loving Jesus Christ, right? Uh, regardless of what anyone else in the world says, and it gets play on not just Z music television, but on MTV, and it ends up what like number sixteen on the Billboard charts. For that reason, I kind of have an admiration for them in the sense that they yeah. like 
they they never did completely back off of that. They were adamant at, till the very end, like you know, we're Jesus mm-hmm. freaks and everything. And right. Like I kind of admire that. It's, it's there's something about it. I guess. Yeah. In this album, they tried to toe a very fine line, and part of it mm-hmm. was that Kevin Max and Michael Tate, both coming from more of a rock sensibility, were kind of getting sick of doing hip hop. Honestly, is the <laughs> yeah. sense that I get. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Whereas yeah. Toby Mac was like, no, I want to do. I just want to do raps. <laughs> Uh, let me do my raps. But I think that sort of they realized that as a group, they had to figure out how to make something that played to all of their strengths. And mm, so yeah. on August 1, 1995, uh, the single for Jesus Freak, that's the actual track, Jesus Freak itself, is released to radio. It's a big hit on Christian radio, and it drums up publicity and attention for the album of the same name, which is released to retail on November 21, 1995. Unlike any of their previous albums, it doesn't have them on the cover. Yeah. I've read somewhere that they took the design from like a sort of old toxicology book that Kevin Max owned, like from the second of To me, it just looks like the Minnesota Twins logo. It does. It does. It looks like the Twins logo. It's trying to evoke a very like Roman, almost ancient aesthetic. Yeah. This ties in with the book they released with it which was a essentially like a compendium of Christian martyrs throughout yeah. the world. And, mm. you know, before we started recording this, I told Josh, like, I've got this book uh, that 33 and a half, you know, they have this series that they do. Um, where it's fantastic. They, you know, yeah, they have writings about specific albums. And as they point out in this book, like, there's like six martyrs from the ancient days and then a bunch of like recent ones that are kind of dubious and they're not even like fact checked. But then this yeah. Yeah. vast chasm between like 500 or 5 AD up till now. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, huh, why is that? What, hmm, why were there no martyrs for like a 1,600 <laughs> years? It's like, oh, yeah, it's because the Catholic Church like reigned fucking supreme. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, <laughs> like, and the, the right. handful that you get, the handful that you do get from the period between the 20th century and ancient Rome are all Protestant mar- martyrs from like the 1500s. <laughs> it's always people who are oppressed by the Catholic Church. Uh, because right. it came from Fox's Book of Martyrs, more specifically those ones. And also because it's a Protestant book. It is an evangelical yeah. Yeah. Protestant book. And it is very much like I, I was trying to like skim through and see if there were any explicitly like Catholic martyrs. And I couldn't find any that that laid it out, at least. As they point out in the 33 third book, it's like they also I think the very first one is John the Baptist. And it's like John the <laughs> Baptist, like, they call him like a Jesus freak. And it's like he he can't be a Jesus freak. He's before Jesus. <laughs> right. But he was a freak. Let's be very clear. He was John a freak. the Baptist. Freaky little guy. He uh, ate locusts. Had to have and wild honey. We famously. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, I just want to I want to spend just one little brief more amount of time on this martyrs book mm. because uh, it's absolutely wild. The writing in it. <laughs> Is is so deeply terrible and so like there's no sources for anything. No. It's just like ah, trust me. But I want to read this one, and I want I'm, I'm gonna do an impression of it. But like, this just sounds like Chris at the end of an Adventures in Odyssey episode. <laughs> in Iran, social and political pressure is sometimes used to force Christians to recant their newfound faith in Jesus Christ. Damn, some are even tortured. Debash was imprisoned alone for two years in a cramped hole with no room to stretch his legs. While he was in prison, his wife, Aziza, left Debash and was forced to marry a Muslim. No. 
<laughs> and then and then it was just like and it was just like oh okay so he was he was put to death you know for for crimes against the state or whatever and it's like he was later released yeah no, no <laughs> most of these modern guys what? don't die they're like what? not actually martyrs like, he was found dead in a park a few days later <laughs> well oh, oh. And it was like, oh, well, because this, it was, they're like, some think the state had him killed. And I'm like, who's some? Yeah. And, and, and also maybe, but like also maybe some of these people had connection to another nation state. Namely, the United States of America and its central intelligence. Like, or maybe he choked on a hot dog. Who knows? Like, we don't know. <laughs> also, the thing is about most, a lot of those early like Protestant martyrs, a lot of them were f- killed. Okay, Martin Luther was not martyred. That's partially no. because he kind of had to temper his message at a certain point. He was trying to reform the Catholic Church from within right. and eventually gave up on that project. But like you talk about like a guy like uh, what Thomas Munzer or something like that, or like the Anabaptists, like mm-hmm. those people were martyred and it wasn't because of their bel- religious beliefs necessarily. They were kind of like proto radicals, you know what I mean? Like sort of yeah. proto socialists, and that's yeah, why they were, they were overturning the right, order. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, it was a social revolution, social one order. Of, that one of my favorite like Middle Ages ones that they have is a woman named Vrunken in Flanders. <laughs> Vrunken, come on, justice for Vrunken. You cannot convince me that is not a Milo Edwards character. <laughs> oh man, she gets bricked up into a wall, and they like they you know, and they're always building oh, suspense, and they're a always cask of Amontillado behind it. Yeah. Well, they're always they're always like illustrating the violence. Here's all the fire as it licked his body yeah. and then the yeah, spear yeah, yeah, came yeah, yeah, in yeah. or like this guy right. hacked the yeah. Bible out of his hand. The next dude hacked his intestines out of his stomach. And uh, this woman, they have the story where she's getting slowly bricked up into the wall. They keep giving giving her chance. <laughs> I'm getting slowly bricked up, if you know what I'm saying. So this is supposed to be like the 1500s. It just says 1500s. And if it's the. Dutch Inquisition, it would be probably around the 1550s, right before the Calvinists just sort of like washed over it like so many floodwaters because of the lowlands. This was a woman who was arrested for just having a Bible. And those dirty Catholics were like, Damn who it. here is reading a Bible? And Vrunken is like, ich bin me. And, and so they keep telling her to be like, renounce the fact that you read the Bible and right. something. And she's like, no, uh-huh. I just love God too much. And they leave one final brick right in front of her mouth to be like, we'll tear this whole wall down and let you out. And she's like, no, I love God too much. And they just slide the brick in. This is not a real story. I was no. looking all over. I was, I was spending a huge portion of last night digging into the like Dutch Inquisition. I'll and, have like, you know that Drunken is a good friend of mine, and she does not appreciate you questioning her story in this way. And all I can think is that what they did, they obviously like just fabricated a name and then fabricated a story for why this. But I think they probably read some story at some point where a wall in Belgium got torn down. There was a skeleton in it. And totally, it's like from the 1500s, and they're like, ah, it was because she read a Bible, right? right <laughs> also, right. yeah, also a lot of this is probably lore. Like, I also wonder yeah. if some of them were just gleaned from like chick tracks and shit. You oh, know absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Sure, sure, sure. It's just yeah. like stuff that you'd hear from various yes. pastors who make exactly. increasingly bizarre lies as they go on their tour across the country. <laughs> There was there was a young woman who started playing Dungeons and Dragons, and then she was told that she could unlock the real power 
uh, on uh, strict orders of the Catholic Church. She was martyred by Jehovah's Witness Gary Gygax. <laughs> so I, I, I we'll we'll talk a bit more about sort of the book and how it connects to the yeah. album. I think a bit later, but mm. the big thing that I want everybody to just sort of keep in mind is that idea of sort of the er narrative of yeah. the prosecuted Protestant, right? Yeah. Where it's like he was challenged on his faith and he was questioned and he was asked, are you a Christian? And if you're a Christian, you're going to die. And he said, yeah. Also, as they point out in the 33 and the third book, the, um, the authors, uh, Will Stockton and D Gilson are the authors. As they point out, Jesus freak and early CCM, like we talked about hip hop, right? And we talked about how, Early DC talk picked up some of these forms from, you know, sort of some mainstream forms like hip hop. Another huge one at the time was grunge. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to situate this album in the kind of like anti-consumerism, like middle finger atmosphere of the 90s Mm -hmm. that grunge fit into. And the Jesus freak, like the image of the Jesus freak, was kind of in a way reappropriating the image of Jesus from the 70s as a hippie into the 90s. Um, but kind of with the added element of the sort of like Kurt Cobain uh, outcast, very handsome and sort of like charming, but also troubled and depressed. You yeah, know what I, mean? so yeah. Like, I, I actually have a quote here from the book that I'd like to read. In these ways, Jesus Freak aimed to reboot the Jesus People movement for an alternative audience. The album wanted to bring 1990s suburban evangelicals into fellowship with hippie street Christians. It wanted listeners to recognize that contemporary believers are no less countercultural, no less defined in opposition to the immorality of the secular world than Frisbee, uh, which is a guy. There's a guy Lonnie, named Frisbee. Lonnie Frisbee. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Lonnie uh, Frisbee. Yeah. That's a dog's name. The inventor of the Frisbee, right? Well, he was an original yeah, Jesus yeah. movement guy. He was also gay, and that basically was, yeah. ran him entirely out of the movement. He, he passed away yeah, from he, AIDS oh. in the 80s. Yeah. He had a very tragic life yeah. but uh yeah. never mind but such the, a whimsical name totally <laughs> no never mind the differences between a 1970s street christian and a 1990s youth group leader which are in any case far less pronounced than those between the latter and john the baptist what matters is both are jesus freaks that's the mindset that we carry into this album and it, it, it kicks yeah. off putting us right in that mindset right away it really starts off with a bang you know uh yeah. this first track is So help me God. It's got kind of a smashing pumpkins feel to it, which, uh, you know, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness also came out in 95. So these are very much in conversation with each other sonically, I think. Um, But this song is all about like how a relationship with God. Well, it's a lot like an addiction. Uh, but but unlike an yeah, addiction, it's a good one. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good it's addiction. A good addiction. It's a good it's, addiction. It's, it's, it's sort of like that Adventures in Odyssey episode we listened to a couple weeks ago, where it's like, why aren't there any good gangs? Uh, yeah. Here it's like, well, why aren't there any good addictions? Well, there can be. Yeah. Uh-huh. To our Lord, I, it's interesting you, you bring up Smashing Pumpkins because for me, the thing, in, the bells that immediately started ringing in my head was Counting Crows. Sure. Because August yep. and everything after had come out, I think a year before, and it seems like. 
Counting Crows was sort of like if you wanted to get into Nirvana, but also wanted to be like a little bit cutesy about it. You know, uh-huh. like <laughs> it, it, it's like it's it sands it sort of sands the edges off and makes it a little bit more user friendly. Even though August and everything after still does have like a, a much harsher edge than anything that would come out of their discography Absolutely. after that. Honestly, the opening riff. Kind of feel I don't know what year this song came out, but I kind of feel like they might have ripped it off from Lenny Kravitz. Are you gonna go my way? The weird thing about the song is that, like, obviously, like you start off with this riff that. Yeah kind of like reminds you uh, you know you're right you kind of got uh, some smashing pumpkins in there some Lenny Kravitz some uh even like I know they've talked about how much of Zeppelin fl- fans they are which mm-hmm. was very controversial when they were talking oh, about yeah. this in the 90s by the way did um, you know that if you play stairway to heaven backwards <laughs> it says here's to my sweet Satan <laughs> there are no stairways to heaven there is only an elevator <laughs> Well, DC Talk, I think, unfortunately, kind of got the brunt of a lot of criticism that would have been, you know, aimed at a lot of other CCM artists. They were just the kind of like biggest ones. But the criticism basically being that a lot of their influences were like satanic rockers from the 70s. Because like if you're an artist, you're a musician, like you're going to be borrowing from music that is not Christian, uh, so to speak. This song is interesting, though, because like, as with a lot of songs in this album, it's not straightforward rap rock. You've got mm-hmm. you've got Toby Mac on the chorus on the verses doing kind of like a rap thing, but it's just like a speaking thing more mm-hmm. than anything. Yeah. I think there's also some bongos in there. I mean, it's just <laughs> yeah. like it's not it doesn't comfortably, in my opinion, slot into any real category of its time. Like you wouldn't have heard bongos, I don't think, on a smashing on melancholy and infinite sadness. No. <laughs> yeah, no. What is this Donkey Konga talk? It's <laughs> <laughs> a GameCube ass song. Yeah. There's this part at the end of the song that turns into the "How I Met Your Mother" theme in a very baffling way. Well, there is like there is this weird clash because the instrumentals are all very like grunge, uh-huh. but the the singing has these tight like doo wop harmonies yeah. to it. It's a very clean vocals and very rough instrumentals at the same time. I mean, I would argue that it is honestly sonically very unique because yeah. of the yeah. weird elements you've got. Like Kevin Max's voice kind of sounds like Brian Ferry's from Roxy Music. Yeah, and, he, and then you've got Michael Tate, who sounds like kind of bad brains. You know what I'm saying? Like, then you've got like Toby Mac, who's obviously rapping, right? But like the the session musicians that they had play for this album, I think played on like Shania Twain albums. Like these are these are like Nashville session musicians. Like these are like professional. Oh, these guys dudes. know what they're doing, and you can tell. Yeah. I mean. That that's an interesting difference too, to, just to the point of I guess the sonic palette. You know, at, this is the first track on the album, and it was very strongly signaling to people who had been listening to DC Talk that they were going in a different direction. If yeah. previously mm-hmm. you had been a big fan of like New Thang era DC Talk, and you put the album on and you hear this, 
there's going to be an extent to which you're like, holy shit, this is DC talk? Like, what? To take it even a step further, what's very strange about it is that they were kind of trying to fuse grunge with rap. Yeah. Which is like, yeah. you know, they, there had been obvious attempts to fuse rock with rap, like, you know, Anthrax and a fucking Run DMC and Aerosmith and everything. Mm-hmm. But like grunge with rap or, you know, Smashing Pumpkins type rock, which is a kind of post grunge. That is a weird mashup but yeah. that is the kind of that's kind of what i'm arguing for here is that like that's only the kind of mashup you would see in christian music because what they were trying to do is they were trying to pull genres that would be appealing to youth two genres that were popular at the time grunge and rap they're like well let's just fucking throw it all together yeah i mean why not like yeah. just rap sweet crap i think it's not just that though like you're absolutely right that it is to do with the commercial pressures and like who they're targeting but it also speaks to what these guys wanted to do toby mac at this point in his in his musical sort of journey was still all about like i want to rap and so These things fit awkwardly together in part, I think, because he was so insistent on that piece being a part of it. All of their solo albums after they left DC Talk, it is kind of interesting because it does allow you to kind of like peel back all the ingredients that went into Mm -hmm. it. Obviously, Toby Mac just went immediately back to rap. But um, Kevin Mm -hmm. Max did some kind of more almost like sort of psychedelic type stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like sort of psych pop type stuff. And then uh, George Harrison type shit. And then um, Michael Tate just like I think his first album right after they broke up was like a straight rock album. Mm -hmm. I used to love that album when it when it came out. I was probably like 12 or 11 or something. But yeah. Where were they show. were they all Christian themed or when they when they did their solo albums do they try and like become more secular? It's interesting. I don't remember them I, I okay, I don't I definitely don't remember Kevin Max's song being played on the Christian radio. Mm. Tate Michael no. Tate's did, but I remember there was a Christian bookstore like an hour and a half from me. And that's where it was, I think it was called Mardell's or something like that. And it was interesting because there were a sort of host of Christian quote unquote artists who would have to fight to get their albums in Christian record stores. And it was kind of, mm-hmm. like they were kind of in a bind, kind of in a hard place. And I kind of think Kevin Max might have been one of them. But like Five Iron Frenzy was definitely one of them who mm. like had a hard time getting their albums in Christian music stores because they would deal with these topics that were Five Iron Frenzy was singing about like native genocide, you know, genocide of Native Americans and yeah, like yeah. colonialism, you know, that kind of shit. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. The kind of stuff that like was. It, well, and they named an album Cheeses of Nazareth, which didn't <laughs> earn them any favors yeah, in that yeah, community. Right, right, right. right. Uh, so it's like, you know, that kind of stuff. But then I, I'm pretty sure Kevin Max, Kevin Max did eventually wind up back in that sphere he did one album with audio adrenaline in the early 2010s yeah, he was their lead singer briefly in yeah. much the same way that michael tate would become lead singer of newsboys yeah well and he'd come back and also work with newsboys and stuff like that like a little bit here and there he never totally like extricated himself from it i think they're friends you know yeah. like i think he likes working with people that he knows personally yeah. but like certainly now his his politics and his perspectives have shifted quite a lot uh, where he has a real discomfort around evangelicalism and conservatism. Totally. I mean, yeah. could you blame him? They're all insane now. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. <laughs> uh, so to pull it back then to So Help Me God, I'm, I'm interested in the idea of like Christianity as a drug, right? Yeah. That, that yeah. This is, this yeah. is what they are creating here. Like they are trying to point to this idea of Christianity as being a true alternative. 
right? That that's really what this whole album is all about. Yeah. yeah and I'm curious yeah. to hear from you guys what your thoughts are on this concept, because I, I remember this was a big piece of the messaging that I received growing up about how like, yeah, man, like. You can go along with the way of the world or you can like be a real independent thinker and, you know, care about Jesus. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's also something very telling about uh, it being an addiction that's better than drugs, because mm -hmm. that's sort of how rehabilitation happens. Exactly. In this country, right? Higher power. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's just <laughs> like, don't choose to be an alcoholic. Choose to love Jesus. Right. Yeah. The underscorings of like a and a have a lot of especially, you know, um, uh, in more conservative areas have that whole thing. It's just like quit cold Turkey. The Lord will save you. Jesus will keep you safe. Uh, you know, which obviously had very devastating effects during the opioid crisis, but like it's, it's, it's incredibly striking how like it's said here with such earnestness and gusto because you're right, Terrence, like these, these guys don't feel like salesmen to me in a way that so many evangelicals do. They're not out They're They're preaching the word, but it isn't because you feel some sort of like, corporate entity at their back saying say these things right it's just that they truly believe them with their full throat which is why i think the album feels successful to listen to even if you are a non-christian it's because it is a true artistic expression of their view of the world not to take us too far off topic but like this is the era where like david foster wallace is writing about like the new sincerity yeah and mm -hmm. like this kind of trend of detached irony in the 90s and these guys are doing this is earnestness. This is the so, most earnest yes. album yeah. you can possibly imagine. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is Ernest Saves Christmas. <laughs> That's right, Brian. <laughs> Wait, if Ernest Saved Christmas, then why did Kirk Cameron have to? Kirk Cameron is actually a heretic who does not believe in the canonical actions of Ernest. <laughs> Ernest died for our sins. <laughs> Ernest is a saint in the Catholic and Orthodox traditions. That's true. That is true. Uh, he saw yeah. Jesus actually in the middle of a flowing river and he waited out and put Jesus on his back. Ernest is also seven foot four, by the way, which oh, is how okay. he was able to do this. And uh, he, he was very back. tall. That's yeah. why we have all of his medallions in our cars wherever we go. Got it. Uh, so that when we're about to crash, we too can be scared stupid. The uh, the, the, the when, when you saw when you saw only one set of footprints, uh, that was when Ernest was carrying you. <laughs> oh, delightful! Oh, we're so stupid. Uh, <laughs> we're good, actually. Another piece about this too that, that that jumps out at me is like the addiction is now to like a divine individual being right and mm. this is another mm -hmm. piece that we're going to trace throughout is like this idea of like jesus is your individual friend mm -hmm. and you are talking about him in a surprisingly intimate way I also do think that there is a thread here that kind of traces a sort of capitalist realism, which is that like, mm. and this was a big thing in the 90s, too, that like perhaps social conditions can't be altered or changed. Perhaps we have reached the apogee of human achievement mm. and social configuration. Yeah. And therefore, like all the greater truths to be found are within or with your higher power and that that becomes the kind of thing that defines you. And, uh, and I don't know, it is an interesting sort of element to drop into the broth of individualism to have yeah. your own individual God. Yes. Even. Yes. Your oh, own yeah. personal yeah. Jesus, if you yeah. will. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but to the, the thing about that individualism though, is that for DC talk, it's also coupled with this sense of sort of the broader social fabric, which takes us pretty yeah. naturally into the second track on this album, uh, colored people. 
which <laughs> colored people. Colored people. We, we talked about this. We've covered before, yeah, with Rosie. Uh, but this is the second track, and this is uh going right back into a fully melodic form. It opens up on a progression, a chord progression, D major, A, G. Uh, but then it goes into the verse and it shifts into the relative minor, which is B minor, G, E minor. This feels more sad and sort of unresolved. Yeah. Which then means when it shifts back into the major, you get this like uplifting, ascending euphoric feel. Is it creation, fall, redemption? It might be. Josh, it might be. is that what it is? Hey, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm a good performed Christian. I can't go wrong with that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this was a formula for a lot of uh, Christian songs after. I don't know if DC Talk pioneered it, but it is something that I've picked up a lot over the years that they would like they would play around with that like major verses or minor mm-hmm. chorus or then like minor mm-hmm. verses and major chorus to kind of like yes sonically in not only just lyrically but sonically kind of like point you in the direction of you know hope and change to borrow obama's favorite expression <laughs> and this song does dip its toes into the water of addressing racism mm-hmm. in a way that i think is very commendable for CCM of this particular period. Uh, I wish they hadn't ultimately uh, because I don't <laughs> I don't particularly jive with this song very much. But it is it is very interesting because, as you said, the earnestness really kind of gets you through despite them singing about skin kaleidoscopes. Like right. you're just like, yeah, man, go for yeah. it. Yeah. The, the opening lyric is your epidermis is showing. And, but they're, they're yeah. trying to be serious about this. Like. <laughs> Dude, yeah, it's... a little playful. I mean, that's the thing, too, is that this is a band that is not afraid to be a little playful. Mm-hmm. And I do shudder to think about how often this song was uh, used to teach race in, you know, uh, in Christian Church. Bible camps across well, the country. I've got a great story about that. And this oh, is from boy. the 33 and a third book. I'm going to quote straight from it. On a high school missions trip, <laughs> during which our youth group painted houses in a blighted Detroit neighborhood by day and held revivals for residents in an abandoned city park by night, we performed colored people. Yes, our entirely white worship team from a solidly middle to upper class church sang to mostly black Detroit residents, we're colored people and we live in a tainted place. We're colored people and they call us the human race. We've got a history so full of mistakes and we are colored people who depend on a holy grace. Okay, so let me just say, <laughs> I, I will never try to defend this song on its merits. But as we pointed out, you have to also put it in the context that this was post-moral majority. And for these guys to be singing, not if you look at the the music video, I think the music video also kind of is a little more explicit about this. The music video invokes images of not just the, uh, you know, MLK's, you know, March in Washington, I Have a Dream and everything. It does something that I find very fascinating. It invokes images of the sanitation worker strike in Memphis. Mm-hmm. So it's like it this is oh. like they are they are in dialogue with Christianity's relationship with the civil rights movement mm-hmm. and how there were elements of the church in America that led that movement, but then there were also elements of the church in America that 
upheld slavery and that mm-hmm. upheld segregation and that the church has to grapple with these two legacies yeah. in some way. This is these are two things that are in tension in the tradition of American Christianity. Mm. And so it would you would be it would be a grave injustice to just ignore that as a Christian in the 90s to just what you know what I mean right. in the yeah. wake of the election of what Toni Morrison called the, our first black president, Bill Clinton. Yeah. I mean, like, you can't just, like, ignore it. These are, I mean, in my opinion, calling Bill Clinton our first black president is perhaps an even graver injustice <laughs> yeah. than what this song does. Right, right. There is personal specificity here, too, because, Terrence, mm-hmm. you mentioned those institutions that upheld slavery, notoriously one of which was the Southern Baptist Convention. The whole reason for that denominational split was that there were people who wanted to uphold the institution of slavery and were unhappy with the decision to not allow slaveholders to hold office in the church. And so they split off. And the Southern Baptist Convention is the denomination affiliated with Liberty University. Yep. You know, it's like that's 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 the worst game of rock, paper, scissors you yeah. could ever imagine. <laughs> One, two, three. Liberty University. Confederacy. Shit. <laughs> Who would win, Robert E. Lee or coked up Jerry Falwell Jr.? But the, <laughs> honestly, make him kiss. <laughs> this does fit in so well with the yeah, the mainstream racial politics of the 1990s, which is like, yeah, we have to like we have to reckon with this history, but it's history. It may be recent, but it's like it is the past. And so now now that yeah. we've kind of solved it, you know, we need some first still. We still need a first president or something like that. But we're going to be able to move past it. And you see that yeah. in this specific lyric from colored people uh, where they say ignorance has wronged some races and vengeance is the Lord's. If we aspire to share this space, repentance is the cure, right? So it is a redemption in the heart. You have to just bring forgiveness to the table. Don't do any, uh, because there is this anxiety around like race based vengeance, which has never really been, a true movement of any kind. There's been violent resistance, but there's never been like a black vengeance movement or a native vengeance <laughs> movement or a or Chicano vengeance. You know, like <laughs> yeah. it's not going to happen. This is like, so why are you still so mad? Don't you realize that if you start the race war, that's going to be worse? This thing that <laughs> that's totally going to happen? It's sort of a semi euphoric bridge. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it goes back into the minor key. But then it resolves at the end in the major key again. And then it takes us to a rap bridge yeah. uh, in which in which Toby Mac <laughs> oh, says. And then we're back into the chorus again. That colorblind man is a dog. Got it. Okay. Well, the, that's, that, that's why he starts talking about bones immediately afterwards. Oh, right, right. <laughs> yes. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just obsessed with bones. <laughs> I, I've been trying to. I've been trying to figure out what's the worst song you could request at a concert, and I think it's probably this one. I think probably screaming out this, this out. one. Yeah, in yeah. the middle of a concert, this one's probably the worst. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah. people would think that you were doing like a Paul Revere thing, though, for actual like, people of color. They'd be like, "Oh my God, the race war is coming." <laughs> it, it it is a very fascinating lyric, like that that rap, because he is kind of getting at a reality, which is that like 
race is socially inscribed, right? Mm. It's like race is like none of us are reduced to the color of our skin. We shouldn't anyways. That like essentialism is bad. That like people are diverse and complex in all kinds of ways. Like I'm Terrence. I have bad eyes. I have thinning hair or whatever. But it's like not just that I'm white. It's all these other things. Yeah. Um, And like I think that he's getting at a truth there, which is like, you know, we shouldn't practice what we call essentialism. Right. However, Toby Mac wrote this entire song um, ostensibly without the help of Michael Tate, but I don't want to deny him agency here. He's just not listed on the songwriter sheet. Mm-hmm. So it does it does make you scratch your head a little bit uh, over like what is the real message here. I did appreciate them trying to tackle this in the 33 and 3rd book. I'm not entirely sure that the argument holds necessarily. I think what they're saying is that like if you put this in context of like how of sort of like neoliberal multicultural uh, debates in the 90s about racism that this kind of like slots into there. I agree to some extent uh, to, a, you know, to another extent, I don't. The song sounds good sonically. It but sounds I, so good. Those harmonies are so yeah. tight. I would have left it on the uh, cutting floor, though, if because like because the only reason I say that there's another song on this album that I think tackles it a little bit better. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that, I, I that, think like, I agree. Yeah, that like yeah, it tackles it with a little more nuance and with a little more kind of like actual damnation. Mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like yeah. actual calls it out. No, well, and that but that song is not as friendly, and I feel like you know it, it, it's because of that that it's like oh yeah, you still want colored people because that one like nicer it's like mm-hmm. here here's we're all part of the human race this is the thing that we can do the music video for this is the single that we can re- release we can't do uh the what have we become that way because that one right. just yeah. is, yeah. is yeah. so yeah. unhappy well i think that like to be honest like the song colored people um colored i have people. to say that because i i think there's people in the next room and if they just hear me say colored people <laughs> yeah. without knowing what the context is well you just say no it's song. okay because white is a color too yeah i'm i'm also a colored person we are a skin kaleidoscope i've been saying this they should have called the song skin kaleidoscope <laughs> yeah. skin kaleidoscope kaleidoscope <laughs> if, you, if you twist it hard enough though only one color comes out uh-huh I just I think it's if it's not that different than like anything you would hear at your like sort of, you know, bog standard MLK Day celebration. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, ah, uh, yeah, it's it's it is it is a uh, it is a song that uh, that that did its best and was very well meaning. But it also just tosses off like, oh, mistakes were made. Yeah. You know, right I'm like, okay, right name some of those mistakes, though. I, I feel like I feel like you're making uh, light of some pretty big mistakes. And totally. you know, it's 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 certainly by contemporary standards, probably not something that you would sing anymore. Although they did sing it when they did their like 2017 reunion, which oh, was like they did the cruise, cruise trip. Yeah, yeah. The, the Jesus Freak cruise. Surprising choice. Yeah, people were so mad about the Jesus Freak cruise. By the way. Because of Kevin Max, because of Kevin Max being being an apostate or whatever, yeah. Um, I Uh, it wasn't because like a super spreader thing. Was that like (laughs) the COVID year thing? No, it's twenty seventeen. I mean, it could have been a norovirus super spreader. We don't know. Could you imagine? (laughs) Could you imagine it being one of those boats they had to dock (laughs) off the coast of like New York City? It's like we got a bunch of Jesus freaks on the boat. They all got COVID. Kevin Max was there, so the only virus folks were getting infected with was the woke mind virus. That's right. That's right. Here's what I'll also just say one last thing before we move on from colored people. If you think that's bad, 
Uh, go take a look at track 11 on Free at Last. Uh, that's a lot worse. That was actually the original name of our podcast was Two Honks and Another Honk. Uh, no, two, honk, two Honks and a Dago was the original. Oh, name. there it is. There it our is. theme song was going to be Daylight Come. And I, I had I had white friends that would sing that song when I was a kid. No. And even I, even me oh, at like no. age like nine, I was like, dude, you, nah, you can't. Don't sing that, man. <laughs> So let's move on now to the main event here. Track three. This is, of course, the title track, Jesus Free. You know, we've now pledged ourselves in the in the previous songs to this impassioned fidelity to God. And we're showing it in the way that we relate to the people around us. But uh, how how does this cause the people out there to perceive us? You know, what what does that look like? What would they do? What what would they think even? Yeah. I don't really care. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> no, good, good, good. I think they shifted the key up, like, to kind of disassociate its obvious comparisons yes. to Smells Like Teen Spirit. It is a half step up yeah, from they shift oh. Teen Spirit. They shifted it a half step up, which, as they pointed out in the Pitchfork review of this album, kind of basically puts it into like bubble grunge, which is a kind of like pop grunge, like almost mm. My Bloody Valentine, mm. shoegaze oh, sure. territory. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it is you know it's very poppy, but it's it's got rap in it, mm-hmm. and it's kind of um, <laughs> it. Not only that. But it's as we were talking about earlier, it has a rap wherein Toby Mac is singing about John the Baptist. Right. He's he's rapping about John the Baptist. uh, But John the Baptist was not just John the Baptist. He was he's a guy you just see on the street. Yeah, man. He's like got long hair. Big fat that, belly. that shakes like marmalade I'm sorry, what is it? jelly. Yeah, mm. yeah, shakes like marmalade jelly. Jelly. Yeah. I, I, it's when you make jelly out of marmalade. Yeah, yeah. That's a second me, process. That to me feels like okay. So when you, I, I don't, uh, Terrence, I don't know if you've ever done uh, taken an improv class or anything like mm, that. Yeah. But but there's a game. Uh, do you know the Beastie Boy game? Uh, no. Where uh, you do a rap in a circle where uh, you just try to get people to guess what's coming at the end and then everyone screams it at the okay. end. Yeah. And Marmalade Jelly feels like a punchline <laughs> to one of those exercises. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. It's not good rap. Okay. So like the <laughs> AJ, the uh, hip hop pure here is really upset about the denigration of his favorite art form. Yeah, no, truly. Uh, and look, I'm not, I will not claim to be an expert on rap, but it is one of those things that even I listening to this, I'm like, th- th- this could have used a second draft. You rhymed belly with jelly, dude. And then there's no third one to make it make sense. Like there's no build on it. And it's so short. It's almost like they're embarrassed about the rap in the song. So it's a three part composition. Uh, it's got a sort of ABC, ABC structure to it. Yeah. You get a sung through verse, 
Uh, mm-hmm. And it is describing how dangerous it is to be a Christian in the United States of America in the year of our Lord, 1995. Uh, a year in which I should point out was probably the safest yeah. year to be a Christian. Uh, this, is, this is also worth noting four years after the release of Nirvana's Nevermind. That verse is then followed by a rap bridge uh, yep. about a Christian who is perceived as crazy by the people around him. First, the man with the big fat belly that we have mentioned before. And then second, uh, John the Baptist. And then that leads us into a chorus stating that, you know, regardless of how others perceive them, uh, they, the members of DC Talk, are proud to, in fact, be Jesus freaks. So mechanically, this is almost identical to Smells Like Teen Spirit, except yeah. that rather than the hello, 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 it's Toby Mac rapping. Mm, that's a good point yeah <laughs> well yeah. and you you have to keep in mind that like he couldn't really sing so they had right. to have some no. job for him to do as opposed to tate and kevin max who very much can sing v- yeah. very much can yeah. sing i love both of their voices but toby mac can't really sing so i guess like what they do is they kick him like a rap verse this is when rage against machine is probably at its sort of like height like yeah, yeah. rap rock wasn't unheard of Right. But like, would you go into like, what would it sound like if you took Smells Like Teen Spirit and put a rap, you know, again, scare quotes, but put a rap <laughs> section in it? Uh, it would sound inc- even more. It would it would be insufferably earnest almost. I think the, the rage comparison is useful, though, that like the vibe that they're attempting to capture in the rap, I would say, is along those lines. Um, but but it's not angry is the thing. I would say I would say I would go so far as to say that rap rock is pardon the pardon the hyperbole here. I think rap rock is an extremely idealist form or mm. art form. It is like it, you know, it aspires towards this kind of like materiality, this sort of like realism. Mm. But it only can ever be trapped in the kind of like mythologizing heights of rock and roll. Yeah. So it's like it is uh. it is the kind of like it's the dialectic like embodied. It's like you know, it's like you've got you've got the mystified shell of rock and roll, right. like sort of like wrapped around the sort of like materialist, rationalist, like you know, inner core of rap. And, and I feel like this is what they're That's trying. Beautiful, Terrence. Hold on, I want to take yeah. a moment to acknowledge that was fucking beautiful. Oh, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's it's all there. I think that's what they're trying to do here too, right? They're they're trying to enter into a dialectic about like. What does the platonic ideal of sort of the Jesus freak or the martyr look like? Yeah. And how does that compare with sort of how we might live these ideas out in day to day life? But I don't think it succeeds musically or lyrically on this front. Yeah, I can't even listen to it anymore. It's the one song that like when I listen to this album, I have to skip. It's just like I can't do it anymore. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like when I liked it as a kid, I was like, you know, starting to learn drums. And I was like, yeah, you know, you can fucking rock mm. and roll on this shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like now it's so camp. 
Yeah. That it's like, I just can't even listen yeah. to it without kind of like I would, I would love to see a drag version of Jesus Freak happen at some oh, point. Can you, can you imagine the harmonies and just the voguing and the dead dropping that would happen on My Best Friend Was Born in a Manger? I mean, oh, yes. come on. Oh, yeah. Don't they even point that out in a 33 and a third book? Like this element of this is kind of like radical drag. Like it yeah. is, it's so camp that, I mean, you can't avoid it to a certain extent. I mean, at one point he just screams, ha ha, ho! Like, <laughs> like he's going adventuring. Well, and part of the part of the camp of it too is a different kind of drag where they're like dressing this up so much commercially now that it's produced. It's like, let's get, they got Simon Maxwell to direct this music video who doesn't have like a huge oeuvre of music videos, but he was the guy who directed uh, Hurt for Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is a very famous music video. It's capturing both a, a live performance and it's filming surfaces that have stock footage being projected on them of like things rotting and dying and falling apart. And so they get him. I don't know if he directed the other music videos for this album because they're all kind of in his style. But I do know that he directed I, this. I think he did colored people maybe? okay or maybe well, it they certainly just, looks maybe they just like crib the style yeah yeah they might have just cribbed the spot but style I, yeah i was it. looking at this interview that he did with david farrier the uh new zealand reporter who also directed the movie tickled which is one of my favorite documentaries uh um, great movie uh, he talked about how there's another cut of this video somewhere on a betamax tape in his house that is really that couches even more imagery of like excesses and violence committed by Christians and Christian regimes and so huh. he he made basically three huh. versions he made that one he made one that was all just here's Christians being persecuted by all the bad guys that that they perceive them and then yeah. here's and what we get is something that's in between because you'll see like Nazi book burnings in this as well right. because Christians also read the hiding place so many times it was like they hit themselves over the head with a hammer and they were like oh yeah the Nazis were actually an anti-Christian <laughs> regime and and it was only all the true Christians were just like uh, uh, Corey Ten Boom and whatever they were Dutch like me yeah <laughs> at this point in American culture and American evangelical culture specifically. There was this idea that Christianity, as we know it, is under threat. It is under threat from the outside world. Now, at this point, obviously, the USSR is 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 defunct. We are spreading uh, freedom and democracy in Eastern Europe uh, through evangelism and Amway. And uh, we have reached the end of history, right? So why is this happening? Why is this the narrative? Evangelicalism is in decline now i think it reached a height in the mid-aughts yeah and you could probably dig into that in all kinds of different directions evangelical president being a, a huge huge one i'd imagine right but talking about bush yeah 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 i i thought about that too like that could be part of it like you had this very evangelical president who then launched two wars and destroyed the economy yeah i mean 9 11 9 11 happened and people poured back into the churches Right. Like church yeah. membership shot up after yeah. like late 2001, but it dropped off really fast because the evangelicals yeah. got too opportunistic and said, OK, we're going to run with this. We're going to take evolution out of schools. <laughs> we're going to make it a fucking constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage. And it was generally like even people who are bigoted or even believe those things were getting put off by some of the more excessive pushes of this movement and of a president who ended up becoming one of the least popular 
uh, during his time at the end of his presidency. Well, and so it's interesting to think about. I guess I haven't really dug into it, uh, thought about it that hard. But yes, as you mentioned, you've got the fall of the USSR, uh, which means that like for vast parts of the world, you've got the essentially eradication of any kind of alternative. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, both aesthetically and socially, economically, politically, or whatever. Right. And so that means that in the 90s, you've got, uh, you know, probably best embodied in like Boris Yeltsin taking acid and going to a superstore in like California. <laughs> yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like just the yeah. absolute, like almost psychedelic infinite potentials of capitalism. Right. Um, which, which then creates in my opinion, a large part of these like anti-consumerist movements in the yeah, 90s. adbusters, that kind of thing, adbusters and stuff, right? And yeah. so, like, I I don't think that them and the church, the church at large, may have used this cynically to like boost their membership and say like, oh, we're a persecuted group and stuff. I don't really see how that would really work as an evangelical tool. Like, why would you? Why would you? recruit anybody hey come get your head cut off come right. believe in this thing and get your head cut that, that i don't really think that's gonna work ccm might have used it cynically i don't really feel like dc talk did either because like as we've discussed i genuinely kind of get the vibe that they you know are earnest about this and kind of believe in it um the way i read it is kind of almost maybe like a psychological sort of uh sublimation of the fact that they're all engaged in what is obviously a paradox they're in a multi-million, probably even multi-billion dollar industry, and yet they're saying that they're, uh, you know, persecuted? Like, that yeah, doesn't make sense. Yeah, right, like, if yeah. they were a persecuted, like, subgroup, then they wouldn't be that successful. Um, and so, like, maybe that's kind of how they square it. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe that's kind of how they square it and say that, like, I mean... Uh, again, this is just me shooting from the hip, having not really spent that much time thinking about it. That's my entire um, philosophy on this podcast. Yeah, 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 that's you all you got to do, baby. Yeah, yeah. I think that like a lot of good liberals in the 90s also did have this kind of anti-consumerist critique. Mm-hmm. I think that's even in a, another song of theirs. Absolutely. Yeah. Like it, love yeah. it, need it. Mm-hmm. It's kind yeah. of like, you know, it's in several songs actually where they're talking about wealth accumulation and everything else. They're aware mm. of these things. Um, and so I think maybe in order to kind of repress that their sort of inability to break out of it or critique it from an even more profound point or to just become full on like commie bastards or whatever, <laughs> they have to sort of come up with this ideology that like the church is a subversive, like sort of like persecuted element of American society. Yeah. And that's yeah. what gives their message even more resonance in the sort of hyper-capitalist consumerist atmosphere of the 90s. I agree that DC Talk, the band, I don't think they believe this in a cynical way. I do find the devotional, however, to be a highly cynical piece of merchandising <laughs> yes. from concept yeah. all the way through to execution. Yeah. And I do want to talk about that a little yeah. bit more, too. So when we get back, we'll talk a bit more about the devotional and then we will make our way through the rest of the album. What's riffin', fellow Franciscans? Drive Shaft Persimmon here, former lead singer of Seven Loaves and Two Fishes, organist for Leper, I hardly know her, and second towel guy for Eucharist Gay, the New Testament burlesque act currently operating out of an abandoned methadone clinic. Hey, my fellow papists, do you wanna rock like it's 1473? Then you need now that's what I call Contemporary Catholic Music Volume 2. We got all 
all the classics. Who could forget regular Sabbaths on the importance of not coveting your neighbor's wife? Hey, if you're thinking about coveting your neighbor's wife, don't. Ooh, that's exactly what was on the tin. Oh, what about neutral pope milk hotels on the importance of not using contraceptives during the act of intercourse? Hey, if you're thinking about using a condom, don't. Ooh, that seems deeply unscientific! We also have a previously unreleased track called On the Importance of Not Coveting Your Neighbor's Wife, God's Version! Hey, if you're thinking about coveting your neighbor's wife, and her name is Di and his name is Ted, and you find yourself suddenly at their place, Drinking a fresca and smoking a joint All feeling nervous but oh so horned And you move to the bedroom to get it on And you get down to your skivvies and set up a chair So Ted will have a great view of the act And as you start to kiss his wife You open your eyes and are shocked to see that Ted isn't watching you from the chair. It turns out it's Jesus watching you French. And you say Jesus and he says hey. And you say where the hell is Ted? And he says I don't know around. And you say did you take over his body? And he says hey I don't pay you to talk. And you say, you don't pay me at all. And he says, fine, you can have Ted back, but I'm still going to be here watching you. I'm omnipresent, so I can't not be. It's actually a really big hassle for me. Do you think I like watching you fuck? Okay, I love to watch you fuck. But also, I got nailed for you, so the least you can do is get nailed for me. And you shrug and say, okay, so you start to get back into the act. And if in that moment you find yourself reaching into your wallet for a condom, don't. I just found favor with my nips! So order the album that puts the gore in Gregorian and the Job in Handjob. Now that's what I call Contemporary Catholic Rock Volume 2. Highway to the Manger Zone! I've been thinking a lot about, you know, how can I grow closer to the Lord? You know, in my day to day life. Yeah. Is there, I have is, an idea. Yeah. I have an idea. Something okay. you could do daily. Yeah. Uh, perhaps in some form of showing your devotion. Okay. Maybe, maybe a devotional activity. <laughs> oh. Perhaps. Okay. Perhaps. <laughs> perhaps even with a book. And no, not the book you're thinking of, folks. Oh. No. Not Tolstoy's War and Peace. But in <laughs> fact, a book that is a companion. To so many, so many Russians who have sacrificed for their faith, just like Leo Tolstoy. Oh, man. Uh, Got it. So uh, it's Das, das Kapital. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. It's, uh-huh. So, it's so funny that you say that 
I have a note in my phone. I have no mm. idea why from 2019 that says Tolstoy was for Trotsky's generation. We have DC talk. <laughs> no. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. I don't really even know what I meant by that. Uh, I guess it's all coming together. Um, so we, we, we had mentioned the existence of the Jesus Freaks devotional. Uh, yeah. This is a book that was put out by a group called Voice of the Martyrs in collaboration with DC Talk. Yeah, DC Talk totally wrote this. Yeah, they right. totally <laughs> wrote this book. 100%. They absolutely read it before it went out. They were involved <laughs> at every step of the way. Um, and this book is fucking yeah. weird. We, we've mentioned how like it just is basically a collection of either pastor stories or like apocryphal shit from the early church. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's basically it. And I guess what you're expected to do is every day read one of these stories about a persecuted Christian who may or may not exist and be like, damn, wish that was me. Yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> you weren't just expected. You did do this. I did this. You did? This was in sixth grade. My teacher would read a passage of uh, a Jesus freak every morning. Wow. And sometimes if we were really good. You know, we weren't getting too rowdy. He'd read a second one. <laughs> oh, man. We were all about those Jesus freaks, man. I do want to point out that the Voice of the Martyrs is a nonprofit. It is basically anti-communist in origin. Mm -hmm. uh, the guy who started it, his name is Richard Wormbrand. Yeah, Worm. It's it's him and his <laughs> wife Richard and Sabina Wormbrand. They are. Are they Harry Potter villains? Like what? No. The well, what's going on? They could be Harry Potter villains, AJ, because yeah. they were uh, Jewish. And oh, yeah. No. So wait, well, why? Like they 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 they're converted like Jews for yeah. Jesus. So oh, no, wow. they're not Jews for Jesus. No, 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 no. They they left Judaism behind entirely in any form. They became Anglicans because the Church oh. of England, the Church of England has a branch of the what? Anglican Church that, funny enough, this branch was founded in part by William Wilberforce, the famous abolitionist, that is the uh, Anglican ministry to the Jews. Okay. <laughs> that the, Its entire purpose is to go all over the world, and in this case, Romania in the 1930s, to convert Jews to Christianity. So Richard and Sabina both grew That's up- so fucking vile. Yeah. So he was- So Richard was born in the kingdom of Romania. Sabina was born in Austria-Hungary in an area that then became part of Romania after the First World War, and then after the Second World War became part of Ukraine. And they were both Jewish. He ended up being an agent- for the common turn. He went to Moscow and was like a dedicated communist until communism took over Romania. Huh. And uh, at the risk of running into the sort of trouble that Terence runs into and in criticizing communist regimes every now and then, <laughs> uh, if there was ever a country that absolutely did communism wrong, it was Romania. <laughs> this was not a fun place to live for any human being of any sort. That's actually amazing. We've gained followers in Romania. <laughs> mm -hmm. The Wormbrands end up becoming very vocal opponents of the communist state and of the sort of uh, bending over backwards that the church had to do in Romania. And Richard, as a result, Sabina was thrown in prison for a while, too, but he was thrown in prison for like a decade and spent multiple years consecutively in solitary confinement, was tortured repeatedly. Agents would go to Sabina's home and say like, oh, by the way, your husband's dead. And then she'd be like, that's bullshit. I know you're lying. And then he'd come back six months later and be like, no, 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 really, he's dead. He died now. He wasn't dead before. He is dead now. These are the kind of communist practices I actually can get behind. 
Belton Road is a little too public private partnership for me, but like religious persecution is not <laughs> I'm not like that opposed to it. <laughs> okay, okay. This is now a, a officially a Ceausescuisk podcast. We are we're doing great. Let's go. We, we, we all saw the movie four months, three weeks, and two days, and we're like, we want this to come back. We want everyone to experience this. We all support the Dobbs decision. Um, so, so eventually, uh, they get sort of. He gets ransomed by like Norwegian Christians who like put up like a paltry amount of money to like $10,000 to get him out. And uh, he and Sabina end up they go to Norway very briefly and then they come to the U.S. and settle in Oklahoma of all fucking places. Uh, dude, of course. Of, yeah, absolutely makes mm-hmm. sense. Was it <laughs> Tulsa? Tell no, me it was it's Tulsa. Not, it's not Tulsa. It's a much smaller place called uh, Bartlesville. Okay. And actually, that's important to all the stuff that's been happening in the last decade or so when it turned out their chairman was molesting children and right, everything. Yeah. There is a controversy tab on their Wikipedia. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and you can see there's a web page that is maintained by Richard's son, the younger worm brand, who like brought up the issue because they were going to ignore it. They were like, okay, so he was accused of molesting a child who impersonated the defense against the dark arts teacher for an entire year and kept him inside of a trunk. Well, so the big thing was the, in 2012, 2010, the, the chairman of voice of the martyrs had had this accusation leveled against him. And then he just went and killed himself. And so they were like, okay, that's no problem. It's all, it's done. We don't have to investigate it. The police uh, and the chief of police was like on the board of directors. Uh, was that. like, oh yeah, yeah. Holy well, shit. you know, dead perpetrator. What, what is there to investigate? Let's just forget about it. This mirrors um, uh, what happened at Hillsong pretty closely. Yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. And and so the younger Wormbrand, Wormbrand the lesser, <laughs> uh, <laughs> was like, no, you have to do an independent investigation. This guy was traveling to all of our like branches all over the world. We've already been having these issues in like the Ethiopian group that we just sort of paid off and distanced ourselves from like this needs to be investigated and they were like what if we just fired you damn (laughs) yeah not even being a worm brand will insulate you from that kind of damn and like this is what they do now like like this organization is just the worm brand group and they just make movies about the worm brands like that is their their i mean they they do other stuff rebooting it as a come on on come on But like that's that's what they trade off of. And they have as of 2022, they received 90 million dollars in donations annually. Uh, so they're good. They're a, shit. Good. I like love for that comparison, for like focus on the family, which is a very visible, very large group, gets about 130 oh. million wow. in donations well, annually. Is it really any surprise then that like Kevin Max has gone where he's gone? It's like, yeah, man, right. Like having yeah. this in your I mean, because you got to understand, like they were young when they started DC Talk and like the mm-hmm. shit you start when you're like 19 is not necessarily where you think you're going to be for the rest of your life. Right. So, you know, the one one path lead one thing leads to another yeah. and suddenly that's the path you're on and Yeah. Yeah, and, you know? and and you know, a lot of it again is based on like the connections that Michael Tate was able to make because he was mm-hmm. so intuitive about like networking in these circles. And he's a really nice guy. People like Michael Tate. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to hear that background on sort of this organization and how it came about because honestly to me the devotional feels like an entirely separate thing that just happens to share the name of the album. Mm, yeah. The yeah. album mm-hmm. is not really about 
how it's terrible to be the most persecuted minority in the United States in 1995, (laughs) evangelical Christians. Mm -hmm. Um, But this gives the opportunity for churches, for anti-communist groups and, and for people like that to sort of extend it into that purview. And this dovetails very nicely with the Evangelical Christian Project, which would find its fulfillment with the Project for the New American Century and the Bush administration. You know, it also makes me wonder if the extent to which they even signed off on it, like it seems like Michael Tate is kind of it seems like he's kind of right i mean if, if you're like calling jerry falwell you're like white daddy like, you know. michael tate has recorded a video talking about how much he loves donald trump um yeah. it's it's just no there's he's, an even there's an even funnier video where donald trump is at some kind of event and someone on his staff told him like oh you need to call out michael tate he's in the crowd and this yeah, group like, loves here, him here's the list of names that you need to read at this particular stump this. speech this is and so he's like it's so the michael tate he's here michael tate you all know him everybody knows michael, michael tate, tate. Mike, everybody knows him everybody <laughs> they, they who wouldn't know him the, the clip of him talking about hannibal lecter in silence of the lambs <laughs> like, it's the same yeah. Silence of the Lambs. Oh my God! He's like, there's, there's cov- their follow-up album, Supernatural. <laughs> Could have trimmed some fat. Could have trimmed some fat, folks. But hey, what consume- would people think if they <laughs> found out I was a Jesus freak? But consume me. We love, we love being. Consumed. I saw a man folks? on the street. He had a big, he had a big belly, big round belly, big guy, like big guy, big guy, big guy. I got like marmalade jelly. People don't talk about marmalade yeah, jelly, yeah, but tattoo. we love we love marmalade jelly. A typical tattoo green. Uh, you know, it's, it's all, it always oh. turns green. You let that tattoo. You don't you don't freshen it up every now and then. It turns green. It it, it does make me wonder if um. So I don't know. Who knows? Maybe Toby Mac and Michael Tate and maybe even Kevin Max himself signed off of it. It is also just equally possible that the record label owned the fucking rights to the entire sure. Jesus Freak like you know, likeness oh, and yeah. image and brand yeah. and they just gave it to this group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to know. Well they do get DC Talk to write like individual forewords mm, at the beginning great. of the book. So there is like some degree of the Them the guys off. themselves yeah. signing off. Yeah. yeah. You no, know, yeah. they feel detached though, those yes, forewords. They like, do. It's yeah. like it's very clear they have not read what is in the rest <laughs> of the book. No, no. And, and and I think really just to kind of pull this all together, it comes down to the fact that merchandising is another cash cow. And specifically books specifically mm-hmm. publishing yeah. because of the place that christian retail was at at the time it's a yeah. very natural upsell right it, it's like it, hey yeah. you're here to buy the jesus freak album can i also interest yes. you in the devotional of the same name that makes so much you're so right yeah you go to the christian bookstore martell's you get the fucking album yep. you get the book yep. yeah go to yeah. my local kriegel that was what we had in Grand Rapids. Kriegel. Yeah. In Gallup, we had Bread of Life. Oh, we love to see And that. Bread great. of Life 2, right next to the Crisis Pregnancy Center. That's uh, no longer the there sequel? because of all the embezzlement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a sequel to the store. <laughs> yeah, The Hunt for Curly's Gold. Yeah, be- yeah. Be- yeah. <laughs> Bread of Life 2 without gluten. Yeah. <laughs> it's the gluten-free store. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was actually really cool that they were actually, you know, able to get Donald Trump to write uh, a passage in this book. Uh, Where's this going, AJ? It, it, it was just one sentence long. <laughs> Uh, it was it was very very short. It just said, uh, "I did everything right, and they murdered me." <laughs> so uh. let's pull it back to the album, shall we? <laughs> After that delightful detour into the world of Christian merchandising and publishing, we're going to get back to the album Jesus Freak, and now we're on to track four. 
Uh, This is What If I Stumble. What If I Fall. Yeah, this is a uh, song about another classic like Christian neurosis, which is like, am I doing this for the right reasons? Yeah. (laughs) This starts with a Brennan Manning quote. Uh, This quote is like his famous quote that's like, I think the greatest cause of atheism is Christians. Yeah. Um, I love it. Which is, yeah. yeah, I I don't really have anything negative to say about Brennan Manning. He's the guy who who wrote something called the Ragamuffin Gospel. He Mm. was a Catholic priest who then left being a Catholic priest, Mm. uh, got married, dealt with alcoholism his whole life, and was like really dealing with trying to find a theology that meshed with how he actually understood the words and actions of Jesus Christ. Did they take the ragamuffin like band? Is there Rich yeah, Mullins? Yeah, so Rich Mullins. There? Rich Mullins knew him personally. Okay. They actually got to oh. know each other. Was what? was like really really attached himself to the ragamuffin idea, and also himself had much harsher criticisms than I think even Kevin Max might about evangelical Christianity yeah. and conservatism oh, in America. Rich Mullins uh, was calling out like U.S. empire in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Like there is a wow. strain of social justice in this that like, I mean, perhaps this is why they broke up. One of the big things mm-hmm. about DC Talk that I didn't realize as a kid and that you really, that really comes through in the clip of the them on PAX TV is that they're fighting constantly. Yes. Yeah. And uh-huh. they can't guess, even set it aside for an hour yeah, in that clip. Yeah. They're just, mm. Yeah. yeah, and it seems probably that some of those fights were sort of ideological in nature. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then DC Talk does inhabit that tension in Christi- in American Christianity. Yeah. On the one hand, probably, yeah. actually, you could probably tease out three tensions from all three of them. On the one, you've got Kevin Max, was that more kind of pro- progressive, like social justice tendency. Michael Tate, which is, you know, let's turn it into a glass factory tendency. And then like Toby <laughs> mm-hmm. Mac, which is like, I've just... I like the beats and I like doing praise and worship right. and I just don't want anybody to like get in. Don't bring your politics around here. Yeah, that is the ultimate like Toby, like after um, yeah, Donald Brian, you Trump. Found that, you found that Facebook post. After Donald Trump won the election in 2020, but then the media and foreign government said that he lost. <laughs> uh, Toby Mac made a, a Facebook status. It just be noted as well that as a counterpoint to this, Kevin Max, of course, was actively out there on social media being like Trump is bad, you know, yeah. this yeah. is not the way it should be. And Michael Tate, of course, making a video on Facebook being like, we love you, Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, and that, that Tate video, too, is him like being like, I want to meet you. Like, let's right. hang out, Donald. Right, right. right. Let's be uh, buds. I think he Jesus. thinks that Donald has problems, but he can fix it. Like right, he, right. If, if, if there's yeah. any race issues that Trump has, he just needs to be friends with Michael Tate. So here's um, how Toby Mac squares the circle. Yeah, so Toby Mac says, <laughs> the truth is. And he made an Instagram post that just had the picture was just a white square that said in black letters, the truth is. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. And then his caption is, I have friends and family that love Biden and are happy today. I have friends and family that love Trump and are disheartened today. (laughs) I have friends and family that hate Trump and are happy today. I have friends and family that hate Biden and are disheartened today. My perspective hasn't changed. I will love people and stand for what is right, and I will honor who's in office as president of our nation. Oh, but I will yeah. live for the king of my soul, Jesus. <laughs> his kingdom come, his will be done, and God bless the USA. In my opinion, he's a very fascinating specimen of of current Christianity yeah. because he aesthetically embodies like you could tell he's got I I fully assume and Tom and I have talked about this on the show and it's actually 
goes in line with what you're saying. I fully assume that Toby Mac was probably responsible for the tracking of this album mm. Um, mm. because he, he assumed so many of the pr- production roles yeah. in T- DC Talk. And I do believe that this album is an excellent example of how to track an album. Just the mm, way yeah. that it like pulls you in and you go ups and downs and it has skits that are funny and like self, like they're self-aware, you know, funny. In this, <laughs> I, although I love the Miss Morgan, the Miss Morgan skit skit. I think that's hilarious. Uh, yeah, you, are allowed, you are allowed to have that I opinion, am, Terrence. I, I am really... I, hey, Terrence, I'm, gonna go to, I'm really going to go to bath, uh, bat for the reprise of Jesus Freak, so like, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, with you. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. with you. But just like, I assume that like he tracked the album, yeah. and I do think that like it's a lost art because we don't really yeah. make albums anymore. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. just fucking streaming it. Right. In, in yeah. Way. And so, th- th- this album has a really great Easter egg track at the end, which you don't, <laughs> it's just the fact that it exists. It's yeah, like, Oh yeah, yeah we used I mean. to do that. The fact that it like, yeah. that, that exists at all. Cause the, the counting crows had this as well. I had, um, uh, this hard candy CD had one at the very end, but you had to wait like mm-hmm. 10 minutes for it to mm-hmm. come on. And yeah. you're just like, is it coming? And it would always come at the end. But like, it is the thing we've lost now with streaming. Yeah. That, yeah. that is the thing we will just never get. And back. the same as like those back masked, like rap skits, things like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I remember five iron frenzy used to have some really good secret tracks that oh, yeah. took like 20, minutes it was like half the album was just blank space (laughs) so i guess to pull it back then to what if i stumble uh, you know i think that toby mack's concern about like finding the direction and the focus of the band you see that in this song right because this song is all about how they exist in many ways as role models to the people who listen to their music uh-huh. And there's real concern here. There's real melancholy about like, well, what if I let people down? What if I <laughs> This is also musically uh, in terms of the orchestrations. It's it's very different. Uh, this is strictly acoustic with, you know, bass, guitars, accordion and mandolin. Yeah. <laughs> the, the percussion is also strictly acoustic. It's a brush snare uh, with some chimes, triangle and bongos to kind of pad things out. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it's interesting to, to the point of the tracking. It's, it feels very different from what has come before as well as what will come after. You know, I also just want to point out, though, that like the dynamic was frequently reproduced in youth groups. So you had like, oh. I don't know, it, you know, y'all's experience with youth groups, but at least mine, like there were it felt like there were like leaders mm-hmm. in the youth group yep. who were like, people bestowed upon them this like leadership role and they were looked up to, but then you would like see them drinking on the weekends at at parties Mm -hmm. or whatever. And, uh, and so like in many ways, this song was supposed was, and you know, they talk about it in the 33 and third book that like, it was supposed to be evocative of this idea of like the servant leader in in churches who um, were held to accountable accountability with their, you know, their Mm -hmm. buddies. There's even a South Mm -hmm. Park, uh, you know, joke about it, like accountability. accountability buddies buddies, and, yeah. and well, the, the, so. the 33 and a third book touches on this as well. And specifically one of the authors sort of relates his experience because both of the authors of that book are gay men. Mm-hmm. And he relates his experience of how like <laughs> one of those guys for him was the object of his desire. And so no. he was constantly thinking about stumbling in the sense of like 
stumbling and giving into his, you know, homosexual urges or whatever. Well, and that's the thing, like, again, on our show, like Tom and I have joked, like, this was the song that like you would always think of when you would like mess up and like get a hand job or something in high school. It's like, oh, no. Uh, (laughs) One of those those accidental handies. It's like, oh, no. Yeah. You slip and fall into a hand job. It said happens. You're on the back of the bus. It's a theater trip. You're coming back from the show. More ways than one. Yeah. No, I had a friend who was like still kind of repressing his sexuality in college and was like, yeah, talking to someone on a Skype call back when people used Skype. Part of that was, yeah, getting into this accountability discussion and this guy that he was talking to was like, yeah, you know, sometimes it's just like, I just really feel like stumbling. Like I want to stumble. Mm. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know, like I want to stumble right now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes! yes, that's game, game recognized, game right there. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it it plays against the Brennan Manning quote. Like I think it plays against what at least maybe not the quote itself, but like what Manning is going on about and what the ragamuffin thing is about because it's like he's talking about Christians abusing hierarchies and creating systems that exclude people and things like that. And this is more like, well, what if people see me say the F word in public? Will that will that cause their te- my my testimony and their testimony to stumble? Will that right. lead them away from the church? Well, that that this is the trap of like '90s individualism, which is yeah. the, like it's like, and they even again to reference once again the ten year retrospective, like there was only one perfect person that ever lived that ever walked the earth, and that was yeah. Jesus. And uh, when you put that much pressure on yourself, when you put that much pressure on yourself to like embody a kind of like perfect lifestyle, yeah, you not only wind up messing up yourself, but you overlook massive abuses happening yeah. happening in these sort of like hierarchical institutions surrounding you, like yeah. the church or yeah. whatever. You talked earlier, Terrence, about like holding on to this as sort of like an idea when you would stumble like uh, as a song and i just want to say that there's so much of this song to hold on to because it's five minutes long oh it's and long so many <laughs> songs there's no song under four minutes on here except <laughs> for the joke song it's so they're so long which again i'm like these guys should write it for musical theater but then also like oh like, yeah this song in particular has a big uh andrew lloyd Webber energy to it like this feels a uh this feels like a, a song mary magdalene and jesus sing to each other oh sure sure uh, you know, Ooh. before Gethsemane. <laughs> See, yeah. and this is a song that I can't analyze because, like Terrence with Jesus Freak, this is probably the one I heard the most. This was the one that got like the most airplay on K Love. Oh, okay. Yeah. Positive, encouraging shit. And so I just fucking Such heard. What if I song. stumble? Yeah. All the goddamn time, and it just like. It makes me want to die. It makes me feel like <laughs> death crawling towards me. There was to so so. Did you grow up in New Mexico, Brian? Yeah, grew up in Gallup. So yeah. then that means we, you and I, listened to the same Christian. Um, so like there was absolutely K, there was K Love. Yeah, K Love. This would ha- this would be the song that would play on Caleb because Caleb yep. was more adult contemporary like Michael yeah. w. w. Smith. It was, and, it was this stuff. Yeah, it was Michael W. Yeah. Smith. It was Mercy Me. Yeah. And yeah. then I can then, only imagine. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. then there was K-Light. Yes. And that was that was where the rock and roll shit was. Yeah. That was, you know, they played Jesus Freak on that. Did like, you they get, wouldn't play Jesus Freak Did you get on, M88 anyway. down in Hobbs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then M88 was yeah. like the newest shit. M88. And it, I feel like it leaned a lot more towards rap, at least for a while there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love that shit. I think M88 was like owned by K-Light. Like they okay. were, they okay. were, they, I think that was the one in the same. So like, yeah, you had your three different choices and my dad loved 
if we weren't listening to Christian radio, we were listening to Delilah. My dad loved his adult <laughs> contemporary, you know, in the car. So yeah. that's that's what I heard. The song is not only hinting at their striving for perfection as Christians, but also them struggling with fame. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. A million eyes are watching me right now, no matter what I do. And this right. is before they'd really become famous too. Like right. Jesus freak launched them into the fucking stratosphere. Yeah. And I think though, at this point they had by, I think before Jesus freak, Billy Graham had started having right. him on, mm-hmm. um, he, you know, his, Crusade, whatever. I can't remember what it's called, yep. like the Billy Graham revival or whatever. Billy Graham Crusades, you, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you would have these massive arenas with like 80,000 people. Do you ever go um, to one? I never went to one. Uh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was in first grade and we went to the pit in Albuquerque <laughs> and it was fucking, it was full all the way up to the top and we were in like the back row watching this thing. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like the, was it Was it good? Do you remember having a good time? It was a church service, AJ. Of course it wasn't good. You can watch these things on YouTube and stuff. You know, he broadcasts them on TV. They suck, dick. Yeah. They're fucking... I, I, Pretty bad. They, uh, people are into it, I guess, because you'll get like a thousand people convert every night. But yeah, yeah it was it, it was the first time I had been in a stadium and probably the, the last time until I was a teenager. So it was like my one experience being in a place that large with that many people all together. So that was interesting for sure well there's a lot of things that you might experience in a uh live group environment at a at a theater or something oh, like that yeah, oh, uh, uh, which which leads us into our next song which is a song that you may have experienced in the theater i certainly did at one point yeah this right. is a cover of fucking day by day from godspell This one's a spiritual warfare song or seems to be with some fairly pedestrian lyrics about going through the darkness. And then we hit the chorus and ha ha, AJ, gotcha, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I hate Godspell. I'm sorry. I know we can't have this fight in front of our guests, but it's a dog shit musical. And I cannot stand it. And I know. I'm with Josh. I'm with Josh. I know. Terrence, do you have have any feelings about Godspell one way or the other? I don't. (laughs) <laughs> Let me just say my personal real history with this song. Yeah. This was the song I would always use to introduce the people to DC Talk like well after I had like stopped going to church. Really? Oh, and, huh. and the reason why is because Wet Hot American Summer. Right, yeah. right. It's right. Like, oh, that's, yeah, yeah. That, that's the way in. It's like, okay, you've <laughs> yeah. seen the movie day by day. <laughs> It says like, okay, like there's a hook there. That yeah. was it. I, I had no idea they did a cover of this. I'd never listened to this album until we were working on this episode. Yeah, uh, I had heard, you know, the big songs, but I didn't know that they did a day by day cover. And I was like kind of excited to hear how that went. And then I was like, no, this I hate this so much. <laughs> this is it's, not day by day. <laughs> it's I think it's a low point in the, you know, we're in yeah. the middle of the album by now. Right. Right. Like, and day right. by day is interesting because the, the real song was co-opted by the Jesus movement. It was like mm. if you went to a hip church in the 70s. 
your your praise and worship leader would probably hey you kids yeah. you love this you love broadway musicals don't you <laughs> you love steven schwartz <laughs> you love hunchback that's 20 years from now but you know there's uh, big fans of wicked big fans huge fans um you know who you know who you know who else defied gravity hey there 40 we go. days after there he rose go. from the grave <laughs> that's the sound of the chair spinning <laughs> Lift it off the ground, Jesus. <laughs> no. It is kind of a fun and cheeky kind of reference in yeah. here. And, yeah. it, and it does show something that I feel like a lot of Christian media just absolutely refuses to do, which is just it, it it's playful. Like mm-hmm. it, 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 it's it's not afraid to sort of make fun of itself or to reference its own stuff like yeah. it is. It does seem like the lads are having fun. This was a thing that they would do, I think, mostly because they had the juice. Like, they had the record label money to do this, Mm -hmm. but they would frequently sample or cover massively popular secular songs. Mm -hmm. Like, when they would do the concert, they would do the Beatles' Help, and then that would... They would then segue that into "So Help Me God." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, okay. Wow, yes. they had Beatles money. I guess that yeah. does make sense. But they, holy uh, shit! Yeah, like they they could afford to like cover some of these like bigger songs, and that was like something that a lot of these other sort of like upstart Christian bands couldn't necessarily do. Then we go into Mrs. Morgan, track six. This is like a shaggy dog story i don't know what the point of this is other than it was the 90s and like interludes were the style at the time yeah it was a rascal it's a confession of a woman murdering a man i believe (laughs) she just wanted to oh okay Uh yeah you could build a whole true crime podcast out of (laughs) what did mrs morgan know (laughs) it's a sleepy night in a minnesota town (laughs) we find ourselves on the front porch of mrs morgan I'm Ira Glass. This is This American Life. <laughs> Wait, who said, but who was it who said that they liked this? And Terrence, this was you, yeah. right? Yeah, Terrence, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I liked, well, I just like, you know, obviously it's I like, like a old southern, people telling stories. It's it's, uh, it's an old Southern lady telling yeah, a story. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, and I, it's a soft spot for me. I like, I, will, I mm-hmm. like old Southern people. The, the <laughs> next song, Between You and Me, track seven, is very different again from what has come yeah. before. more like Savage Garden. Yeah. This is, I would say, musically the most like straightforwardly CCM track. Which is funny because it's also yeah. the, the song that was supposed to be their crossover hit. Oh, really? Yeah, they they marketed this at because it. I don't think it's ever explicit in the song. I don't think Christ is ever like the, the word Jesus. Oh, no, it is in the bridge. They do mention Jesus. But apparently mm-hmm. in the the single that they cut for it, to be released like on Billboard Top mm. 200 or whatever, oh. they cut that bridge out. Sure, um, oh. because the lyrics they have the uh, ambiguous "you," yes, which it lends itself mm-hmm. to the homoeroticism of the song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this is very very. This song is extremely gay, and yeah. I, I want to talk about that because we've been alluding to it up until this point. Mm-hmm. But this is all about a man who is confessing to another man that. Like he fucked up and yeah. and wants forgiveness for this. But it's not just in a like, hey, we're buds. I feel bad way. Again, it's got this adult contemporary kind of flavor to it 
that lends it a very strong sensual uh, subtext. Well, and it it references the Bible verse. I can't remember. Maybe it's like in Ephesians. I was searching for it, but about like not letting the sun go down mm-hmm. uh, with na- anger in your heart towards your right. Oh yeah, your friend or your brother or whatever. Hmm. Um, and so like you know, and I think that that's the thing. That's the kind of like tension at the sort of heart of DC talk too. Right? It's like. Are they friends? Do they hate each mm-hmm. other? Uh, like, and this kind of feels like a Michael Tate song because I think he sings a lot of this one. Yeah. Um, it also lyrically, musically feels more Tate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, but it's like, yes, yeah. Tate and uh, Toby Mac, like, because if Toby Mac's true role is to hold it all together, right. then he would be the one ostensibly, <laughs> you know, going. But like, as they talk about in the 33 and third book, Toby Mac and Michael Tate met in college and they were like best friends. Right. They were roommates. So, oh my so God. Yeah, oh they my were God, roommates. They were roommates. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. They like used to put their beds together. Yeah. And there is... They talk about that, yeah. Yeah. And like anybody who's in youth group knows that like a lot of those friendships you have mm-hmm. in youth group were very homoerotic. Right. They were, yeah, que- they, you know, they were queer in yeah. many ways. They right. were queer, and uh, and so like this song unknowingly sort of reveals that and unpacks it, and I find that to be very fascinating because again, no other artist in CCM ninety CCM and two thousand CCMs had like had the sort of like transparency and like earnestness to do something yeah, like that. Yeah. Sure. Um which it, it, it's so fascinating. It's like uh yeah. It's it's a kind of like uh as they say in the book a sort of like feminine masculinity that like only this band would have been able to do. Yeah. And and well and I I've got a quote from that book that I just want to read real quick. Uh it says Recalling the stress placed on the band by their exhaustive tour schedule and his emerging role as leader, McKeon, mm. Toby Mac confesses that the trio fought. One backstage argument was so bad that McKeon and Tate took the stage alone without their third brother, Kevin Max. Mm. Max only emerged in time for the group's performance of Between You and Me, a song that McKeon glosses as one about reconciling our differences, a reminder that you guys made an agreement. Mm. If the you of Between You and Me is unclear, this interview makes transparent the you that is actually one's fellow DC talker each of whom made an agreement with the other in Christ, but a personal commitment nonetheless to protect their bond, to work together, and to love each other as Christ loved the church. Yeah, and the book huh. really gets into a very fascinating history, which is of the Promise Keeper movement, mm-hmm. which was like a men's movement within the church, within yeah. the evangelical church, to like hold each other accountable. And weirdly enough, it kind of gave right to the men's, uh, gave way to the men's right movement mm-hmm. but it also kind of was simultaneously trying to teach men how to be vulnerable with each other and right um you know listen to each other's needs and struggles and everything else slip into and, a hand job every once in a while yeah, yeah, you know, it I know, things happen yeah it happens I don't know. You got to you got to explore those feelings. (laughs) You you sure do. Uh, I think the thing that struck me most about this song was that uh, at the top, he said uh, confession needs to be made. And I was like, what is this contemporary Catholic music? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It is the road to healing. But but that's an interesting point too, AJ, because, uh, you know, confession in Catholicism, you are making to your priest. Whereas yes. in Protestantism, we hold each other accountable. Yeah. Right. You have to go through the proper paperwork and the proper channels. The priest has to s- sign off on the W-2 for you then to get forgiveness <laughs> yeah. from God. For, right. And for 
for Protestantism, yeah, it's direct. It's every day is Yom Kippur if you want it to be. You mm. know, it- <laughs> <laughs> there is something there though that is fascinating, which is that like yes. And I hadn't thought about this before until y'all mentioned it. Mm. Yeah, it's like it turns your fellow churchgoer, Christ follower, into your confessor. Yeah. Mm. Which you would think would lend itself to a more sort of communitarian atmosphere or 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 subjectivity in the church. Mm-hmm. But as we know, Protestantism is like individualism. Is you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it kind of like is the sort of like nas in the gas tank of what like what you know, then combines with industrial capitalism to right. create this kind of like individual neoliberal individualism. So it, it does have in in it baked like a sort of tension that will never be able to be resolved. Right. Uh, so which again, I find the the album fascinating for all sorts of reasons, but this song in particular kind of gets at like how there's all these tensions, but they they can never really resolve any of them. Other than through the power of music, baby. I suppose yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, and the thing about individualism, too, and like wanton individualism, is that DC Talk opposes that, too. Yeah. When we go forward to track eight, like it, love it, need it, the first and only DC Talk inspired by Cold Stone Creamery sizes. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, baby. We, uh, we're, we're right back into the evangelical outreach mode, right? The tempo's yeah. back up. And mm-hmm. this is all about how, like, Hey, you cynical, you know, Gen Xers out here being haters. Uh, dealing with your despair o. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, why, why don't you just, like, look to Jesus, man? Um, <laughs> basically being like, we, we, we find this thing together in community with each other in a way, but it's also to do with this individual relationship yeah. with Jesus. You know, it's interesting that, like, this so this song is a Kevin Max Toby Mac joint. You know, earlier you mentioned Brian like Five Iron Frenzy. Like yeah. it seems like very much in their songs they were they were at always trying to critique the consumerism that's inherent in like modern day evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they were kind of doing that in the tradition of like what we're getting here. That like this song obviously yes you alluded to it. Caro, Despero, some absolutely awful lyricism. <laughs> Karen Despero uh, already rhymed. Make it work, you stupid motherfucker. I They're know, talking about I... Robert Caro, the author of The Power Broker. <laughs> oh. Tell you what, when I heard about the construction of the West Side Highway, I too was filled with Despero. <laughs> but it is like, you know, we talked about how we're sort of supplanting other addictions or supplanting other trends in the first track. And yeah. here we're supplant, it's, it's products and consumerism as like a bad thing, but let's just fix it. Let's just make it better yeah. by making Jesus the product. Right. Yeah. Here, here's right. this thing right for you. You like it. You love it. You need it. And honestly, it's you're right. It's like Don Draper trying to pitch you on Christianity. <laughs> it's like, but it is interesting. I remember in uh, when I was like a kid, there were these Jesus bobbleheads. You remember yes. those? And I remember being so offended by those as a young Christian. Yeah. It was because it was like, this is why... Islam is the superior religion and why it's ultimately probably going to win in the end. But like they would never allow the prophet Muhammad to be that like profaned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like absolutely just like degraded and, and sapped of all meaning and, uh, profundity. 
to, like, yeah. and that's just what Christianity is that they would just let G- put let you put Jesus on a bobblehead and just put it on your fucking dashboard and like that's kind of like the contradiction of it though and like yeah. I think a lot of guys like Kevin Max really couldn't like understand that like so a lot of this was so much bigger than him like yeah, you, you can't right. really like break out of the sort of like suppositions that are baked into <laughs> Like evangelicalism or yeah. modern day Protestantism. Yeah, I, I I keep thinking about those Calvin's pissing on the crosses that a lot of Christians would put. Calvin's on the back praying of the... to the cross. He's oh, not pissing on oh, the yeah, cross. Yeah. Why, would, why would a Christian have a thing of Calvin <laughs> peeing was, on the that cross? That's why I was confused. I don't uh, know. You know. Well, it, it was Andre Serrano's uh, pickup truck, <laughs> the creator of Piss Christ. Oh, there it's we right. go. It's all yeah, right. Good one. Terrence gave me a pity laugh, so. Yeah. <laughs> a pissy laugh. Hey. No, no, it wasn't that, actually. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. Who are you, Andre Serrano? Hey, uh, there we go. Um, <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is Christianity as a branded consumer product, right? Yeah. It's ironically yeah, yeah, yeah. turning the critique back inward on itself and yeah. not really making its way out of the framing that they're trying to yeah. denigrate, you know? Yeah. So it, that's why it's ultimately, this is, uh, this is a product of postmodernism, right? But it's like, not only just for the pastiche, but also just for the fact that like, it's trying to critique itself right. yeah. and just, you know, I don't know. It's kind of trying to be meta and- Well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. adapting that other 90s trope of like selling out, man. You yeah, know, right? right? And they're right. just like, hey, you've heard about selling out, but do you know you could also sell out your soul? Another thing right. is like, as framing this as a product, of course, you have the the capitalist and material, uh, the capitalist and consumerist aspect of things having to be positive, mm-hmm. of everything having yeah. to be yeah. like joyous and like, here's this fun thing. This is how you get things. It's a, it's a fun activity to get your bright new bobblehead and whatever. And... Toby Mac like criticized Nirvana as being like overly gloomy. This sh- this sure. pops up in the thirty three and a third book. Like like it has this, you know, we have this grunge level to things. But Christianity in the nineties, evangelical Christianity cannot be allowed to be gloomy. You are not mm-hmm. supposed to dwell on thoughts of sadness or anger, which is something that Josh you talked about recently over uh, with our friends at the Socialist Shelf when you were right. talking about the books of Rich DeVos yeah. and how Rich DeVos was able to use that that toxic and relentless positivity of capitalism to sell people on pyramid schemes for the Lord. If you're, if you, The only way that you can sort of conceive of yourself as an individual is one who is selling something, be it faith, be it affordable, high-quality shampoos that are exclusively <laughs> available through your local distributor. <laughs> you know, it, it, it all comes back to the same thing, which is the positive Positive, encouraging, rationally spirit, you know, the, the spirited yeah. and appetitive individual uh, who exists with others in this sort of transactional place. It doesn't leave room for any other conception of the self or a conception no. of community beyond yeah. that. It's 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 very strange. They were mm-hmm. aiming for the sort of angst and sort of gl- gloominess of these sort of secular uh, art forms. Yeah. But they were literally constrained from fully going there. Yeah. Right. And so the pr- the result is something that is mangled in the in a entirely fascinating way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I mean you you never got like really previous to this. Yeah. I don't know. So from the simultaneous praise and critique of consumerism, uh, we are taken into uh, track nine, the Jesus Freak reprise, which is somebody kind of doing like a Bismarck impression. Oh, is that what that is? Uh, Maybe. That that makes sense. I couldn't figure out what what he was 
I imitating. Could, yeah. yeah. I see to the, the way that I always read it as a kid was I thought it was someone imitating how an older we as we called him in church a blue hair uh-huh. sing. Sure. So I, in my if I could put it, put it in academic terms, it's them recapitulating their song through the lens of like a really old person trying to connect with the song because it just sounds like my grandma trying to sing hymns yeah Yeah. that's how i understood it as a kid So they do Jesus Freak, right? This very grungy song, but they acknowledge that inevitably, because it is CCM, it will be brought into the fold of the church Mm -hmm. so that their initial earnestness and like the anger and rage and like that, that underlies that song will eventually be commodified into being like, interesting people think. Yeah. 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 And and especially Terrence, now that you say the old person in church, yeah, it makes me think of like the people who do the regular solos. Like, you know, you have the time where you're all singing together, you have the solo and then the sermon. And it's that, old person who thinks they're great at singing but they're yes. actually just terrible they suck <laughs> and every, all the kids know is this it. a like Baptist mean? thing this maybe because I, I, yeah. I, I, like, this is not something we had in reformed Dutch uh, whatever of course, some of the some of the girls that I grew up with especially uh, were like really good singers and, and majored in, in vocal performance when they went off to college and they'd come back for the summer and be like hey do oh, a solo and then yeah. like Judy would be like bumped till next week to do her <laughs> solo you, and she does like <laughs> half of the services every year and so you know judy would would be like really catty sure to the like the younger people who are yeah. much better singers than That's her but she was just like this is my time this is how yeah. i serve the lord with my prodigious talents that he has given me <laughs> that's, that's how i read it as a kid yeah it's like i totally see that who now. thinks they're good and they're performing to their church to like an eight track, you know, backing yep. track or something. Huh. Mini yeah. disc. That's interesting. <laughs> there's, there's clearly, there is a lot more going on with this than I was able, like this is yeah. a culturally specific thing that I wasn't able to access because this was not part of my own lived yeah. cultural experience. Oh, That's believe, interesting. Yeah. Josh, Josh, no I, I completely understand. We just, we just had a choir of castrates uh, at my Catholic masses. <laughs> oh, yeah. So all the, all the sound was like perfectly pristine soprano. <laughs> <laughs> so this then takes us in into track 10 in the light. I keep trying to find a light on my own apart from you. I am the king of excuses. Hey, wait a minute. That guy singing. We haven't heard this guy's voice. He has kind mm. of a raspy quality to it. Mm. Who's th- who's that guy? Who is that? Who is it? It it turns out this is Charlie Peacock, the original singer of this track. As a matter of fact, In the Light was a song that he composed and originally performed. His version, I think, is a better song. Yeah, it's very like Phil Collins and little, little yeah. Howard yeah. Jones. I yeah. like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't yeah. know this was a cover. I'd never heard the original yeah. before you yeah, sent it to me, Josh. Uh, DC Talk took it. They added a minute and a half to it because, of course, they did. <laughs> yep. And uh, it's hundred percent a musical theater number, and uh, it's a little designed for church. Yeah. 
yeah, this this is easier for like a praise and worship leader to take and, yeah. and play. Yeah. To 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 support your theory that this is basically musical, if you actually <laughs> listen to the pre-chorus, it literally sounds like to- Michael Tate is like. What's sounds like he's like busting out you yes. know what i'm saying you, you can hear the cape <laughs> yes. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. getting on yeah. the cherry picker uh, <laughs> yeah exactly um, but again as i pointed out at the top of this very funny that they put a, like a little white boy reggae outro to this i want to be the in the light as you are in the light i want to shine, shine like the stars in the heavens and I saw them perform this live on a YouTube video, and it's way worse because they did yeah. it like with acoustic guitar, yeah, so it's yeah, almost yeah. like s- sublime unplugged mm-hmm. kind of. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, it's no, fucking brutal. I think the strength of this track largely comes in the production, honestly. Yeah. Like their, their vocal mm-hmm. harmonies are pretty tight, but so much of it is about the way they were able to process it and add effects and stuff like that. I think it's, a, it's, it's, it's all right. You know, um, it's more straightforwardly Christian and it's doing something a little sonically different. But I'm a, a, I have to say, I'm a fan now of the original. Like there's something, there's something very personal about this song in kind of that Rich Mullins way. There, there's Mm -hmm. something that's more like there is this deep self-loathing that's baked into it, which of course I always dig, uh, you know, what's going on inside of me. Right. I despise myself. I despise my own behavior. Like it's, it's, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't get to a catharsis at the end. Right. Uh-huh. It's just like, no, I just want to do better and I can't yeah. do better. Well, yeah. It is it is in line with all the other themes that we've talked about and explored yeah. and that are present on the album. Like it's got a, a line like the disease of self runs through my blood. Yeah. It's a cancel fader to fatal to my soul. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like once again wrestling with this idea of the self within the church where you're supposed to sort of basically absolve the self. Yeah. But uh you know what I mean? But also like, but, but, but die to just, the self, right? Right. But we just beat the Soviet Union. And, right. Like, yeah. And in, 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 in the American Christian's mind, like even now, I think they think of like Soviet communism as like there is no individual. Everybody's just all brainwashed to the same. Fucking, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like they uh, can't really break out of that ideology of it because like Christianity points them right back into it. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, right, and, right. and there's sort of the thing, too, of how the original song was to your point, Brian, such a like personal thing of like, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of a fucked up, depressed guy and I need Uh, somebody to save me from it. uh But when you put it through the DC talk uh, filter, it becomes a different song. Like it's not just that Mm -hmm. it sounds different. It's that it is different. It, 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 It points to an entirely different meaning. And I think personally, that some of the homoeroticism comes in here again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who is the you who is in the light? In the original, it's very clearly Jesus. I think in this version, you could be a guy who you see, who you admire because he seems to be in the light more than, yeah. you know, yeah. the singer. Yeah. I, I will say that I actually think that this is my favorite chorus of of any of the songs. Like, it is incredibly catchy. Yeah. I, I hadn't even thought about the homoerotic angle, but it's 100% there. Uh, queer culture is represented because they have a little goblin voice at the beginning, you know? <laughs> uh, well, also, what what's what's gayer than wanting to sparkle like all the stars in heaven? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 That is yeah. true. Look, we, we, we have now affirmed sort of the value of being in the light 
this moves us on to track 11, What Have We Become? Mm-hmm. Oh boy, uh, the heroin song, baby. Yeah, yeah. If, if In the Light <laughs> is all about like the positive outcomes that you can get from following Jesus closely, What Have We Become is turning its focus inward once more mm-hmm. to call out the failures of contemporary American Christianity. The preacher shines his brother because his brother's a different color and this is not acceptable. I was shocked by this song, frankly. This is, yeah, this is that real That there dark. was any sort of reckoning happening within a, a, a piece of Christian media that yeah. is for Christians. Yeah, you get you get the the these problems of like Christian racism. Of like a self-indulgent culture, wealth, selfishness, uh, parents who regret having a child and cause their child to commit suicide because they keep bringing it up at Christmas. It is offering a critique, but it's not necessarily doing so in a way that feels as strictly personal or, or, or personally felt. It feels more like a, hey, society man. But it's society as regards church. Yeah, it, that is interesting um, because there is the lyric in a world degenerating. And that you're right. It does seem to indict society at large. But maybe that is kind of it could speak in some ways to the insularity of Toby Mac. Mm. Like maybe he is so deeply in the church, like he can't even really conceive of the world outside of it. Right. That is the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. is the whole world. Yeah. yeah. It's like Tony Soprano syndrome, but for the <laughs> church. The, the first verse is like talking about a pa- a preacher who, uh, what he shuns his brother because his bride's a different color. It, you know how hypocritical that is. And as you were mentioning, like there is the girl who uh, takes pills and kills herself because her parents, I guess, you know, who knows like what's going on at home. But I think it's the point of just like societal rot or just mm-hmm. sort of like generational decay, which is a very yeah. interesting like thing to point out because like obviously like we're living in 2023 and looking back at the 90s is like a moment of like rot and decay is like very interesting, right? Like we don't yeah. really think of the 90s as decadent uh, in that way that it right. like very seems very much seems like it is now. But I don't mean, I don't know. I think that like, as we said before, or as I said earlier, I think it works better than the song colored people mm-hmm. oh um, infinitely it is also interminable yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very long it's yeah, very long. Really long um yeah. i think it works just because it okay well first of all does it there's no there's no phrase colored sure, people, yeah. sure. <laughs> i mean yeah. that goes a long way <laughs> nor is there the phrase skin kaleidoscope the bar was in the core of the earth so the <laughs> fact that it was able to step over it pretty good it could be the sort of like sonic you know the sort of like musicality of it it could be that like maybe it just works better for me as a uh you know it's chord progressions mm-hmm. and it's like meditativeness on these issues but it, it does feel to me that like they've thought more about these problems than what you get in colored people yeah mm-hmm. because yeah. in colored people it just kind of seems like sh- very much sort of sugar-coated yeah this song doesn't go down as easy. Mm-mm. And it's interesting that they put it towards the very end of the album. Yeah. Uh, presumably, this is one of the last things you'll be left yeah. with after you finish the meal. Mm-hmm. You know, the song itself, like surrounding the lyrics, sounds kind of cynical. But like, you've got like Michael Tate saying, like, what about love? What about mm-hmm. God? What about holiness, mercy, compassion? 
um, selflessness. Like these are all things that like Jesus preached. Very interesting to fast forward 25 years and Michael Tate is, <laughs> you know, out there shilling for Donald Trump. Yeah. Right? He definitely <laughs> practices love, holiness, mercy, compassion, and selflessness. Yes, what are they indicting here? Is it just the church? Right. Are they indicting society at large? The target is not entirely clear. And no, so I don't think they really make the clear, direct critique of American Christianity, even though they, they seem like they want to. Right. Yeah. And maybe they, it's because oh, they, they felt like so bad. they kind of couldn't. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and maybe yeah. this is Kevin Max's influence coming in a little bit, too, who's like so very strongly opposed to so many of these things. But that tendency is is countervailed by Tate's eternal sunny optimism, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. He can fi- he thinks he can fix it from the inside yeah. and then eventually gives up on that, I think, as most people do who try to fix things from right. the inside. We're not going to leave this album on that dour note. Instead, no. Uh, we're, we're going to go inside. leave you a nice little dessert. Uh, this is track 12, Mind's Eye. More cowbell. More cowbell. <laughs> Listen, that's what I was going to say. I love the fucking cowbell in this song. I also love it when a dude's love pours down on me in a shower. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. Hell I love yes. I love Jesus being the wind. That's Billy Graham, right? Though yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You that's that's wind, a Billy Graham a quote. That, that is, yeah. that oh, is okay. straight, unfiltered, distilled mm. Billy Graham. Yeah. Man, yeah. I didn't get a single one of these quotes right. I like early Why on. Why would you? You didn't grow up with this stupid bullshit. I'm not holding into this. I thought the intro for "What If I Stumble" was George Carlin. Like I've just, I've been swinging <laughs> and missing this whole time. I don't know, man. So here's something you can do next time, AJ: is Google the words that they say. Nah, <laughs> Terrence, what is in your mind's eye when you listen to this track? I fucking love the guitar riff at the beginning. You know, you got the fuzz, and you know, it's yeah, like, yeah, it brings yeah. you full circle yeah. back to the beginning of the album like you open with a rocker and you close with a rocker mm-hmm. and i always appreciated that like lyrically i mean it's it, there's nothing much there though yeah. like lyrically it's it's pretty weak it's just kind of like bromides about like being able to close your eyes and like in the moment of worship like see god's face and all this oh, and yeah. again yes there is an interpretation here that is queer it's very much like ambiguous as to who we're talking to But it didn't even occur to me, though, until just now that what you've got is, okay. I'm thinking about like evangelists of the last 30, 40 years. And it's interesting that they came up under Jerry Falwell, who was like, in my opinion, one of the worst, most cancerous, like huge, huge, just awful fucking like warts on the fucking American, you know, body. Even worse than Pat Robertson in many ways, honestly. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. But. But then you've also got like juxtaposed with it, like Billy Graham, who was like everybody's favorite. Everybody uh-huh. fucking loved Billy Graham. He was like, seemed to be me to be accepted most everywhere. Maybe this is me like reworking it like retroactively, but like, what was his thing? He was for integration, right? Like, he was against segregation. And I think, like, by the time you get to, like, the 90s and stuff, I think he wasn't really weighing in on a lot of these topics, really. But, like, perhaps his position on the civil rights movement is kind of, like, what got him purchased into what we would consider, like, the American consensus. He wasn't like Falwell. Falwell was fucking insane. Yeah. You know what I mean? Graham Graham was brave enough to come forward and say, I'm against crime, and I'm not afraid to say (laughs) it. (laughs) Really, though, because Billy, one of the big things that Billy Graham did in the 50s was this series, 
uh, not series, I guess it was the same sermon every night, but he did multiple nights at Madison Square Garden mm, in 1957 yeah. because at that point we were dealing with the panic around juvenile delinquency. 1957 is also when West Side Story came out on Broadway. Um, mm. And Billy Graham was specifically trying to preach to people of color in New York and, and, and very specifically was like getting flyers and, and ads out to to like Puerto Rican communities. Mm. To come see him in Madison Square Garden. I mean, th- this was Billy Joel levels of like filling Madison Square Garden in the 50s. Yeah. And wow. it, yeah, he was like an enemy of Bob Jones. Bob Jones was like, fuck this guy. I'm going to take him down and never did. But Billy Graham, it turned out, was very good at just playing things close to his vest, except when he was hanging out with his good friend, President Richard Nixon. <laughs> and all of this like crazy shit all gets caught on tape. <laughs> Uh, and oh, and yeah. it was his embarrassment. It, the tapes didn't come out for a very long time, you know, where he, we got him saying like extremely anti-Semitic stuff, too. Uh, but <laughs> the association that he had with Nixon, the fact that he w- it was like, oh, yeah, Nixon hangs out with Billy Graham. Once he w- was brought down, uh, Graham shied away from playing that role as a politi- as an explicit political power broker from that point yeah. on. One which his son was like, let's get back in the ring. Pops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. He threw yeah. his defense against the dark arts teacher also Come into on. a trauma. Come on. <laughs> I just, I, it's an interesting note to go out on that you get the Billy Graham quote and the, the quote itself, I, you know, you guys have already said it, but yeah, like I can see the effects of the wind, but I've never seen the wind and it's yeah. about faith. And, you know, it's just like, it's, it's kind of like warmed over. It's like very uh, sort of middle of the road. And mm-hmm. I think that really kind of sums up like what DC Talk was try, like, trying to aim for. Yeah. But they were never able to do it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. this is, again, what makes them in a fascinating entry in Americans, in America's like musical canon. Yeah. Which is that like they aimed for that and missed the mark wildly. Like, it's yeah. like you've got like pictures of. Kevin Max like drinking beer and stuff getting leaked to the press and you know mm-hmm. what I mean like right. it's just mm. it's just like in in his comments left of center comments or whatever it's just like they were not able to contain all of the contradictions inherent in this like moment of America and evangelical yeah, and how could and how could they it was yeah. i mean it was just it was two strong forces being lumped into one thing they were like like a lot of their music they were kind of just throwing everything at the wall and then since they got to be you know these superstars they were expected to be all of those things at once and there's a there's a track in this fucking album where they say, hey, this is a lot of pressure and we're not even big yet. What if I stumble? Right. Yeah. Talk about stumbling after this album came out, because, Josh, yeah. uh, I think you have some info on like just how big they blew up. After yeah, this. I mean, it was, you know, after this album, uh, it was their big break. Uh, as I was saying, Virgin EMI acquired Forefront. And so their next big release, Supernatural, was a major label release. They also reissued DC Talk as part of the Virgin catalog. Mm-hmm. They couldn't hold it all together anymore. Yeah. But, what, but I agree, Terrence, that like when you look back on this moment, that's just like such a specific inflection point. There's something about this album that just it, it's such a weird and singular thing. You know, American musical traditions ceased being these like folkways. They ceased being these like locally, like regionally specific things, probably like in 
the 50s, 60s. Like, yeah. I know that, like, even up until the 90s, there were still regional markets for, like, rap and, and country and stuff. Like, that is a thing, yeah. obviously, and that's how artists were found. But definitely, like, by the 40s, the musical forms you're getting are very much dictated by market mm-hmm. imperatives. And so this was a mark, you know, you can very clearly see the market imperatives put on these guys in the 90s. Yeah. And it's interesting, and a question that I've returned to over and over again over the last, like, 15 years is, like, why is current Christian music now not like this? Like, why are Christian artists now, like, mostly making praise and worship music, mm-hmm. or they're making mm-hmm. vibes? Yeah. That's it. Including, yeah. making, including Toby Mac. Like, that's, including, that's... Yeah, including Toby Mac. Like, they, they, they're not out making artistic products they're not making artistic statements. They're just making vibes. Mm-hmm. And the whole vibe yeah. is for you to stand there with your arms in there and your eyes closed right. and to con- connect with something. And like, there's a lot of different reasons for that. Uh, part of it is political. It's in political economy. It just is the way that the music industry changed in the early 2000s. It was just more profitable for record labels to just switch to praise and worship music that they can like, you know, license the... Uh, you know, the licensing out of the songs to like various churches and just basically it's like rentier type mm-hmm. shit. You know what I mean? They just rake in the fucking uh, residuals from that. But also, I think a lot of it is part of it anyways, is also cultural. Mm-hmm. It's like we were talking about earlier, like what happened to this subculture in the 2000s, like in the aughts under an evangelical president. Yeah. Like you've got that being a moment that pulls in all these contradictions. Like I remember... Honestly, the whole the the start of my journey out of the church mm. was George Bush. Mm-hmm. It was literally oh. like being told at church, I have to support this guy because that's what the Bible asks us to do. We support the people, uh, we support our leaders and all this. And it's like, what do you like? The, like we we launched a war against at that time. I was like a lib, and I was like, yeah. maybe the Afghanistan war was justified, but the Iraq <laughs> war is not justified. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, you know, right, I, yeah. I just. I just could not like understand. I couldn't square that. And so it's like, well, finally I just pieced out like, fuck this. This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I think a lot of people, if they didn't just straight up piece out, they had to square these things in certain ways. And I think a big part of it in the CCM world was they just started making praise and worship music because that's, you know, that's not, you're not going to get any hot water there. Yeah. No artistic statements or values or anything you're trying to like mine out of the human experience for profundity or meaning. Other, no, they're making it's content. It's content. Yeah, it's content. It's, content. it's fucking content. Yeah. It's a content worship house. <laughs> Speaking of praise, uh, Terrence, we would like to praise you uh, yeah! for oh, damn. taking the time to come on our show. This has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. And it's been a long time coming. Same for me. Same yeah. for me. If, if folks want to find more of you, your writing, whatever else, uh, where should they go? I have... A podcast called the Trillbillies. Uh, Trillbilly Workers Party is how you find us if you want to search for us on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon. Please go listen to us there. I also write, uh, mostly published in The Baffler these days, although I do publish in The Nation and Descent sometimes. I have something coming out in The Baffler. I don't know when this episode will 
go up, but I have something coming out soon about the flood that recently happened in our community. Mm. Oh, wow. um, and so uh, yeah, go check all that out. I'm also on the Dying website. Yeah, uh, yeah, Twitter, <laughs> just under my name. Definitely check out Trailbillies. It's yeah. fucking great. You guys are doing been listening five years at least to the Trailbillies. I know. I we've been we've been plugging along for like six years. Now. I remember when yeah, congratulations. Uh, the pandemic started and you guys did a series of episodes that were like church services. Church services. Tom would do <laughs> sermons about fake bitches that still I hold so close to my heart. Wait, I love... Uh, I loved making those because I... Uh, you know, obviously, I let Tom handle the sermon because he's always wanted to be a preacher and yeah. I always wanted to be a music minister. Sure. I always wanted to be the guy that did the yeah. praise and worship song. So I was like, perfect, you know, and I got to sit down and like make a Bruce Springsteen version of like every move I made. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, great. And if you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more case studies in the pop culture of a dying empire, uh, we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash worst of all. Every other week we do a premium episode and uh, it is, uh, you know, if we've talked about other Christian uh, evangelical pieces of media, we've got an ongoing sub series where we recap episodes of Adventures in Odyssey called Wits Endless Summer. Uh, And we will, in fact, be dropping another episode of Wits Endless Summer next week for our patrons. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, check us out again. Check out Trailbillies. Terrence, thank you for your time. I'm just going to wrap this up yeah. by saying, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot. I've been thinking a lot about just life and, and things and the world mm. as we've gone through this conversation. Mm. And I want to end on a strong statement. So, you know what I'm going to say? Mm. Mm. I don't really care if they labeled me a Jesus freak. Yeah. <laughs> there ain't no disguising the truth. That's right. There's no disguising the truth, mm-hmm. no matter how hard you try. That's right. I'm the worst of all possible Joshes. I'm the worst of all possible AJs. And I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. See you next week.